Shadows Literary License Podcast episodes. Ben Stokes here, exploring all things Collinsport, Maine, and following the likes of the Collins family, and the friends and foes, with your co-hosts, Tom Diamond, Jesse Fultz, Mickey Ray, and Keith Chalgo, Collins family, story about blood relations, literally. Welcome to Literary License Podcast. In the Dark Shadows Week, we'll be discussing episodes from August to September 1969, which includes episodes 810 to 855. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We got Jesse Fultz with us. Hello, Jesse. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Nice to show um, up. <laughs> Hello, Tom. Oh, hi there. Oh, <clears throat> I was just waking up. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it is nice to be here as usual. Jesse, welcome back after uh, a hard uh, semester. Uh, I heard you were uh, busting your hump at school and getting all those A's, and and he's smiling as I talk about it. Have you uh, have you gotten any uh, presidential scholarships yet? Uh, actually, yeah, I was awarded two of those. Um, I'm also on the D road. So. All right, sweetie. I'm not surprised. Congratulations! Not, I knew I'm, you were going to be all right. See, there's life <laughs> after dark shadows, and yes, it also proves is. my also proves my point that a lot of intelligent, bright people are dark shadows fans, and they go on to other uh, stories. But I digress. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. <laughs> Tom. Huh. <laughs> no, you said there's a lot of intelligent, bright people who follow Dark Shadows, and I said, no, none of them are here today. <laughs> Speak for yourself, sir. <laughs> I think the host is tremendously bright, and I'm not. And if he says he isn't, I'm going to have a talk with him after the show. Uh, but uh, well, at least he pretends he is. Anyway, so. Uh, I hope you're. Uh, I hope you guys are all doing well. And uh, Keith, back to you. And hello, Vicky. Hey, everybody. How's it going? All right, good. Good to have COVID Vicky with us today. <laughs> We're gonna find out if Vicky's COVID later on. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. And I'm, I've got that feeling. And I'm your co-host Keith Shagan. Before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to. Starting with you, Jesse. What have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Uh, well, last night I went to, um, a concert and I came back, um, afterwards. Um, and other than that, I'm trying to fill out more applications for another college for UConn. Uh, to UConn, it's, uh, it's more, uh, targeted to like a career path rather than just general stuff. I've been to UConn a couple of times back in the day. Yeah, and that's the one I'm choosing to uh, go to. I'm just filling out the applications and stuff now, and it's all, like, artsy stuff. Uh, I have to write uh, a brief essay, and then I also have to write a 250-word story uh, challenge where you create um, a picture of a cave, and then you also write a story about it. 
God, these were um, so much easier back in my day. You just filled it out. You handed your SAT scores in, and they either wanted you or they didn't. The- yeah, it's, it's a lot of work just to fill it out, and I kind of feel like I started school prematurely just because there's so much to do with that. Um, and, yeah, it, it's, it's competitive, uh, so I, I maybe that's part of it. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope it's worth it. I hope I get in because you I will. want it to be worth all the triples. You will. And what about yourself, Tom? What have you been up to? Pretty quiet. Um, I decided to take a uh, little sabbatical uh, from the professor job, um, which is kind of forced since they don't have anybody to give me since their their enrollment is down, uh, extremely so. And I needed a rest anyway because uh, I've been really pushing myself. Uh, and uh, so I have introduced Sharon to sliders and which you can get on Peacock for free, and uh, we're watching. We're in the fourth season, and uh, I understand that uh, some really good. So I got. I had to get a new fire stick, and I have to install it. I've been very lazy, uh, but uh, once that happens, uh, I know that the Star Trek uh, stuff is going to start again. Discovery, of course, is in its is in the middle of its season. And uh, Strange in the Worlds is is will be debuting on May fifth, and that's uh, <clears throat> kind of goes back to the original Star Trek series uh, with uh, Anson Mount as Christopher Pike, and uh, all the rest of those. And uh, there are uh, and Picard the uh, second, and that has already been renewed for second season. Discovery, I believe, has been renewed for fifth season. This is a fourth. Uh, and there are uh, some other uh, interesting... Oh, oh, Afterlife. The last season of Afterlife is now I watched on. that. And that's, I binged uh, it one day. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. It's been a while between seasons, but the last season is now finally on. Bald so like a baby, I did. What about the catch? And I can't remember, I always talk about Outlander, season six is coming out uh, in, I think, March. Yeah, March, season March or April. means I have to get stars for like a few months, then cancel it again. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep, yep. And uh, of course, season seven will be out sometime after that. And uh, so uh, I have just been taking it easy. I had a little bit of a virus last week. I had a fe- I had a slight fever, but uh, COVID negative, thank goodness. Uh, yes, people do get colds uh, post-COVID, you know, having nothing to do with it. And uh, so I'm... Funny uh, how that is. A little tuckered, but uh, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm, coming, I'm coming out of it. And so... Uh, I might be a little more silent today than usual, uh, which I'm sure will thrill everybody on the panel. And uh, but uh, I'll I'll still I'll still be I'll still be waking up for important stuff, so don't worry about that. So that's where I am. And Keith, what's going on? Uh, well, with myself, um, finished watching Yellow Jackets, the season um, finale of that with Christina Ricci and Juliet Lewis. Fantastic! Really love that. Watched Afterlife on Netflix, watched that one day, um, got very cheery-eyed, which is quite surprising because my cold black heart melted a little bit, so that was good. 
Um, and um, yeah, just basically finished watching Titans, um, which really enjoyed. Looking forward to the next season of that. Finished watching Witcher and kind of just finished off all the series. I didn't kind of Witcher wasn't long enough. I mean, come on. How many just didn't give us hardly any episodes and then to leave us like that for a whole year? Like, what the fuck? You I know? think it's, well, unfortunately, Witcher's a bit like Game of Thrones, which takes about two years to get a season out. For yeah, a I bet. With all the after um, special effects and stuff like that. But they got other stuff coming in line because they do have the animated series that ties in this ties in with this series. They got another series coming in that gives you the background story, the elf, the elf community, and what's went on before The Witcher. So they got all that stuff coming out within the year. So keep you until the next season comes out. So there's so a lot of pre-planning with this. So it's about so to keep you satisfied until the next season comes up, to be able to give you still in the in the world, but looking at it through different formats and animations and different shows and stuff. So yeah, it's only because it takes a long time to put it together. Sort of yeah, thing. I really like it. I wish it was more episodes. Mm-hmm. But Stranger Things, I think, is on next month in the season. Next of month, I hope so. I'm kind of been waiting for that. So, but and that's pretty much it for me. What about yourself? Oh, I uh, did watch Halloween Kills. Watch that. Really good, actually. That was quite good. Really, I liked um, it. I don't see where everybody's tripping up about it so bad. Yeah. I really liked it. I watched Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. And I, I have not good. seen it yet. I heard Very good things though. Yeah, I was disappointed, so. You were? Well, they tried to put two games into one, one movie, and it would have been better just doing, like, the first game and the first movie, and then the second game, and so on and so forth. But, um, but saying that, um, the game company has reached out to us and wanted to know if we wanted to review Resident Evil, the game, the first game, and to read the book for our books to stream, so... Something that we could, we're, we're, I'm looking at at the moment. So if they if they can promise us all a game console, yeah, we'll go for it. Yay! Sort of thing. But so I'm dealing with the Cap, Capcom at the moment and Sony at the moment. So who knows? We'll see what happens in the future with that. And that's enough for me. What about you, Vic? What have you been up to? Well, I haven't been doing crap for like four or five days. I've got some kind of weird virus. I don't know if I got the virus or just some weird virus. <laughs> or something that just swept right through my family in a matter of days. That's all I know. But I haven't done too much other than, you know, I finally, like I said, Matthew was trying to get me to watch Titan. I finally watched it. It was really one of those. It, I, it was the trailers are banned, I guess, in certain areas or certain countries or whatever. It's really weird, but I didn't think it was bannable. I guess it depends. I, I've got a really high threshold for what shouldn't be or whatever, you know. Other people's limits aren't mind limits, clearly, or Keith's limits. You know, but it was it was I thought it was pretty interesting. Um little body horror with a lot of weirdness. But uh I did watch Afterlife too and I thought it was really sad and it was kind of one of those bittersweet endings, you know, he's walking off and, you know, the wife disappears, the dog disappears and he disappears and the circle of life just continues. And I just thought it was really sad how it ended because it seemed like he was just, I don't know, it seemed like he was in a hurry in this one. They were wrapping up the whole season, you know what I mean? And just getting all their stuff in order. That's what it seemed like to me, but I was sick. I could have been delirious. Well, I think and, he could have done more seasons and he decided that this was the, yeah, maybe, the maybe last so. one. 
Um, Ricky Gervais is that he only does three seasons of anything. He did three seasons of The Office in this country. That's true. Um, extras, Derek, you know, always, 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 everything he does. But then he's the he's the co-writer. He writes it all himself. Right, right. He's, he's, a, team of he's a he's excellent comedy writer. I love anything he writes. I just I get his boom boom. And I mean, he's the only person that uses my favorite words too, like cunt or twat. And he says them constantly, and nobody is upset about it. <laughs> it's just like yay, somebody speaks my language. You know, the thing about English um, comedy and the reason why you don't get that many is because they don't have the, you know, they don't have five or six people writing for it. They only right. have the one person writing. So, oh, okay. And that may have been him, actually. So, that's, so by, you know, so what you get is maybe 18 episodes in the whole seat of the whole series. And yeah. That's the being, I'm not writers kind of ready to move on to something else. So, okay. I guess I'm still used to when we were all kids and they would do, the networks would punch out 36 shows for a season and yeah. just take a short break off during the summer. Yeah. Uh, and those days are gone. Uh, that's, that's for sure. I, I did finally get to watch Let Them. I actually prefer the 10 to 12 season than the 20 I do too. It's only because it's like they think there's not a lot of filler anymore, which I quite like. I mean, we're covering Bewitched, which has 36 seasons. 36 episodes a season. Right. And right. there are a lot of filler episodes going on. <laughs> it's like, uh... Yeah, a couple of bottle episodes, too, as I remember. Yeah. 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 What do they talk about? Oh, yeah. I watched Last Night in Soho, finally. Everybody kept telling me to watch it, and I finally watched great it. movie. I Oh, love my God. Movie. It was so That's good. Nice. Did you like it? I loved it. Yeah. I love I it. it. I think excellent. Anya... Anya Taylor Joy is like the best actress that I've seen in a long time. She's got the like biggest, and... brownest, darkest, oh, beautiful know. eyes on any human being I have ever seen. It's <laughs> uh, you know. like a animated, uh, animated character, didn't she? Yeah, yeah she's yeah, almost she perfect. Does. You know, the side, yeah. you know, everybody wants the perfect Elsa or whatever. She's got that, you know, she's got that whole thing going on. And she looks like a walking anime character. She just really does. But I mean, she was so good in that. And I did not expect how it ended. Oh, no, I did not see that thing. coming. And it took me for like two hours to realize that was Diana Riggs the whole time. The yeah. old lady. <laughs> You know, and I'm going, I know her. I know I know who this is. It's driving me nuts. But I just remember her being so young and beautiful and like the old Avengers and stuff like that. And, you know, it just, it just it it grew old come, now these older actors come back. And it's like, oh, my God, I remember you. Yay. You know, what I liked that. about. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. What I liked yeah. about the movie was that it wasn't written like a traditional horror film. It, it no, started off it wasn't. as. A very, uh, like you, you genuinely felt for all of the characters involved. I, I've never been so emotionally invested in a horror movie like that, but I genuinely, like, no I wanted to reach through the mirror and, like, grab her and save her. Did realize. you think that they were communicating through the glass, or was she, you, yeah, she, wasn't, I was she wasn't imagining any of this? <laughs> I wasn't sure, but I was kind of disappointed a little bit with the ending in like when I really thought about it, just because, you know, she's seeing the ghost of this woman, but the woman's not dead. So how are you seeing a ghost? I mean, I, I get, I get that. Um, it's the ghost of her old self, but that doesn't actually happen. I've never heard of that in any kind of like, well, I think it's because there's so much happened. <laughs> What's the word I want to use residual energies, baby, you know, 
Oh, yeah. it was yeah, a maybe. fantastic movie. It I, was I, really I did, good. It, I was yeah. I really liked it a lot. I enjoyed it. I still got I it rented. I think I might watch it again today. Because Diana Rigg died before the, they finished um, filming it. Really? I didn't know that. Really? Yeah, she died last September. Last last September. Last September 2020. 2020 or 2021? 2020? 2020. Oh, and Lee Pong died today. We got to give him a definite, you know, that, whatever. That, I can't believe he died. Game of Thrones and that. Huh? Last thing she did was Game of Thrones and this movie. Oh, that's right. She was oh, the mother yeah. in Game of she Thrones. One of the or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, she was the queen mother, kind of, sort of. Marjorie's mother. And Meatloaf died. Yeah, Meatloaf and Vivette Mimu passed away. Yeah, Yeah. she passed away, too, two days ago. Terrible, terrible. They're just, everybody's leaving us. Who are we going to have? All the good people are going. And Betty White, that was just like, fuck New Year's. (laughs) Betty White dies on (laughs) New Year's Eve. It's like, come on, man. (laughs) She died peacefully. I mean, that's how it was. In her sleep, yeah. Yeah, now she has all the time in the world. It's just kind of sad because it's like a couple of weeks before. Um, what's my call it? Wasn't it? It's was couple, a couple, oh, like a week before she's a hundred. Oh, Betty White. Oh, uh, yeah, a week. Betty before. White. Yeah, that, that. My God, they were they were talking about her for days. What a life she had. I oh, know. Just so, so many people. She yeah. touched the globe. You know. Oh yeah. Apparently, not one of her co-stars. Oh, uh-huh. Golden, oh, Golden Girls, one of yeah, one of her co-stars didn't like her very much. I think really, I didn't hear uh, that. It was always envy and stuff. Yeah. But the only thing is, is unfortunately, Dark Shadows when it went off the air was replaced by Password reruns. Yeah. And so the Dark Shadows fans, when you talk of Password, they they turn Alan London's picture to the wall. Uh, but hopefully, well, I would have been a little pissed about that too. You know, uh, that was, was really abrupt, though. When you go through the history, oh, I was just, oh, I was mad. It wasn't because of ratings. It was Dan Curtis said he had enough. That's why it was canceled. Dan Curtis, that was part of it. He wanted to go to Hollywood. Uh, and Dan Curtis is on one of the disc. Uh, when I'm because I'm watching, so I'm not watching it on disc now. And at the end of each disc, there's an interview with somebody involved in Dark Shadows, and he said that he said that. He said by 1970, he was ready to put the breast, and he basically was flogging a dead horse for the last year. And then he just said, I just had, I just can't do it anymore. So he well, he was kind of running out of steam. You know, we got, you know, those other. Like, was also the issue. I was just like, thought that he said that out loud. I mean, it's like, oh my God, he's in the be saying that. Okay. <laughs> there was also the issue with Jonathan, uh, who did not want to do the sequel. To, not, to House of Dark Shadows. No. Uh, and Curtis was very mad at him for that. Uh, and actually, and it's, and it's out in the uh, well, It kind of makes a lot Mary's of sense. He had now. things that he wanted to do because I finally did finally get around to watching Mary's uh, documentary on Jonathan. Yep. Yep. What a wonderful show she put fantastic. together. Fantastic, fantastic. Absolutely awesome. And I mean, it really explains the man and everybody jumped in on there and gave their two cents and that was kind of cool and and it was really well done and heartfelt, and I was a little teary eyed here and there. <laughs> wonderful tribute, wonderful tribute. And they, excellent I think tribute. They even, and they even had the thing because Curtis threatened to phase the Barnabas character out. Uh, if Dark Shadows had not been canceled, uh, 
Jonathan would have been fired uh, because he did not want to become, didn't want to reprise his role in the Second Dark Shadows movie. And uh, but before anything like that happened, the show was canceled, so everything was all moved anyway. Uh, but uh, it's. Uh, I, I, but I'm telling you, I thought it was funny. Marion Ross was sitting there talking about, you know, everybody wanted to come and see the cast, but they didn't come to see the cast. They were just coming to see Jonathan Fritt after the show. And she's going, no, they didn't want to see us. They wanted to see Jonathan. I'm glad you mentioned Marion Ross, by the way, because guess, guess who her significant other was for many years, who was in this block of dark shadows. I don't know. There's a trivia question for you. It's King Johnny Romano, Paul Michael. Really? Paul Michael and uh, Marion Ross. I have to ask my mom if we had Italian gypsies, because I don't remember any. (laughs) But they were an item for many years, Paul Michael and Marion Ross. I did not know that. How interesting. Johnny Romano. You have to Mm. say it like, you know, Magda says. (laughs) Poor Magda. Has there ever been a role that Grayson Hall is not getting strangled or brutalized in any fashion on this show? Does that woman never stop getting strangled? Well, they must have all of her past lives, her present lives, she's just being strangled. It's just... (laughs) I mean, some people are into that kind of thing. But I mean, come on. I mean, I to the podcast, Love is a Crime, which is basically a 10-part episode about the life of Joan Bennett. Put out by Vanity Fair, and Joe Bennett is played by Zoe Deschanel. Where is this at? It's uh, it's called Love is a Crime. It's available on Spotify, iTunes. Um, It's put out by Vanity Fair. And it talks about Joan, uh, basically about Joan Bennett's career and basically about the murder that ruined her career. Right, mm. right. Mm. Mm. But it also goes in, they do go into Dark Shadows and there's an episode about Dark Shadows and her thoughts about that. Oh, excellent. And, I'll watch that. Interesting, interesting. And what's the name of that again, Keith? Love is a Crime. Love is a Crime. Love is a Crime. And it's a podcast. It's, a, it's an audio podcast. Oh, okay. okay. It's Spotify? You know, while we're doing the shout-outs, let's do a shout-out to uh, Danielle, a.k.a. Penny Dreadful, who has done us, uh, who has shouted us out on a number of her podcasts, uh, Peter yeah, Collinwood. And, uh, in fact, she has uh, facilitated a tremendous uh, favor for us. And uh, we, and Keith, I'm going to leave it up to you, but there's going to be a nice little surprise, hopefully, for the fans as a result of her facilitation. So uh, thank you in advance, Penny Dreadful, a.k.a. Professor Danielle. So what we're going to do now, we're going to cut to the bloopers of Dark Shadows and Tom Diamond, and we'll be right back. Hello, everyone. Tom Diamond here. And once again, we come to another Dark Shadows block, so to speak, and this time it's episodes 810 to 855, and I'm going to go over the stars uh, that appeared during this block, the new ones, as well as the bloopers. But before I do that, uh, I want to emphasize that you know these things are usually done, when I do them, they're done after the uh, podcast is taped in order to take care of any uh, peculiarities that come up, uh, among other things, during uh, that were not covered during the podcast that I can allude to here. And what we want to all bring to your attention, Keith, Ricky, and I, is that yes, we are aware 
that uh, something happened during this block, a major thing. Uh, Barnabas was staked by Charity Trask, and it looks like he was killed off as a, uh, as a vampire. With all the other things that we had to cover during this block, because as you're going to see, there were at least six or seven plot lines that were intermingling and uh, connecting, and in, dis- and in discussing all that, we neglected to talk about the uh, Barnabas being staked, and we will be talking more about that in the next podcast uh, next month. But just suffice it to say right now that this was a tremendously upsetting time for Dark Shadows fans. Uh, they, were, they were crying, they were weeping, they were gnashing their teeth. Uh, and in reality, Jonathan Fred took a month off from the show to portray uh, a role in Murder in the Cathedral, which was... Uh, which was critically acclaimed and that's why they decided to kill Barnabas off for a month because uh, they didn't really know how to deal with it otherwise so they took their lumps and uh, will Barnabas come back? We will see next block how that happens but uh, that is one thing. Uh, The other thing that we're going to be uh, discussing more in length occurred during the last two episodes of this block and it was uh, Patafi's possessing Quentin, and uh, which didn't take quite take place yet at the end of episode 855. But uh, we see that uh, that uh, Quentin's wearing Patafi's ring. Uh, we're uh, we're going to get to a, we're going to get to a blooper on that. As a matter of fact, uh, actually, I might as well talk about it now. Uh, there's a little little bit of ledger domain uh, in, age, in episode eight fifty four. Uh, Patafi is uh, mesmerizing Quentin, and he uh, puts his hands on his head, and Quentin's sitting down, and Quentin's drifting off to sleep. And you're going to see Thayer David then putting his hands behind his back. Because what he does is he takes the, his his ring off and he palms it, and uh, at a certain at a certain point, and the camera isn't on it, he will move around to the front and he will give the ring to and he will give the ring to uh, Selby, who will then put it on his hand uh, in another little maneuver that the camera picks up. Well, the camera doesn't pick up. But what the camera did pick up was that in 8.54, uh, and you'll see that Patafi has one hand in a fist as he, as he moves around, and that's probably where the ring is. But in 8.54, I believe he had it in his right hand, and in 8.55, the next episode, which they kind of did it over again, he has it in the other hand, uh, which you can see which hand is uh, made into a fist. Very, very clever little device, and uh, once again, we'll be uh, talking about that soon. But now let's get back to this block, and uh, be rest assured that we're going to be covering those other topics uh, at, the, uh, at, our, uh, at our next podcast. So, regarding the new stars in this block. So, with episode 810, uh, we have actress Mary Farrell... Who portrays Mrs. Lenore, Mrs. Fillmore, I should say, and uh, Mrs. Fillmore is the 
uh, caretaker who has been uh, taking care of uh, Quentin's uh, twin children. Uh, the little boy is dead already, so Lenore, Quentin's daughter, uh, as a baby, is left with her. Mary Farrell was known for Lights Out in 1946, Duet in 1987, and she was in Growing Pains, Cagney and Lacey, and uh, The Love Boat. Now, in episode 811, Marie Wallace comes back one more time as the ghost of Jenny. It's a very, very interesting uh, portrayal uh, because uh, she's she comes back as uh, what Jenny used to look like uh, when Quentin first met her. Uh, very, very pretty. Uh, there's none of that crazy hair coming out of her. Uh, and uh, there's no craziness anymore. This is Jenny as she was before everything happened. And that kind of makes sense that after you pass, you are best remembered uh, as the best person that you were in life and uh, good uh, good on the part of the writers uh, Viola Wells by the way is a writer uh, comes to the fore uh, once again working with um, Gordon Russell and uh, Sam Hall and you have some really nice stuff but very very complex plots I can understand why the writers were shaking their heads and I don't know whether it was actually at this time that the writers actually went out into the street uh, because they even they got confused in terms of what was happening they asked the fans in the street what was going on and the fans let them know and that's how they were able to continue the show episode 812 marks the first appearance of uh, of Donna McKechnie as Amanda Harris uh, who originally was uh Tim Shaw's girlfriend, Don Briscoe, uh, has some good stuff in this uh, block. And then later on, she falls in love with Quentin, and they have a nice little relationship going there. And Donna McKechnie, of course, was very, very famous after Dark Shadows because she went on to uh, establish herself as a dancer on Broadway and Chorus Line. And uh, she was also in Little Prince, 1974, and it looks like... Oh, and she was in Fame which makes sense in 1982 Um, she was let's see she's been in Cheers I remember her actually in Cheers I remember the episode from the first season Every Little Step Uh, she was in Family Guy Um, she was uh, doing she's doing a lot of stuff Uh, she was born uh, in, she comes from Detroit, Michigan. She comes from Detroit, Michigan. And uh, she is still with us. And uh, she has been to a couple of uh, conventions, not many. Uh, but uh, she is very, very... Uh, she, she, was one of the, she was one of the ones from Dark Shadows who made it. And she is introduced in this block. Uh, as I said, she starts in episode 812, continues into 813, and she's, uh, and Donna McKechnie is in a lot of episodes in this block. 820 marks the debut of Paul Michael as King Johnny Romano, the king of the gypsy tribe who uh, runs after Magda for stealing the hand of Patafi. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, Paul Michael and Marion Lorne from Happy Days, and uh, also who starred with uh, Jonathan Frigg and Arsenic and Old Lace. Um, Paul Michael and Marion Lorne were an item for a long time. 
And uh, he was uh, born August 15, 1927, in Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, he has been on Hill St. Blues and um, uh, some, some other stuff. Uh, but basically, uh, his claim to fame was, uh, well, also some other stuff. Seinfeld, Frasier, uh, Eloise at Christmas Time, Gilmore Girls, Miracle Worker, uh, uh, Music Within. Um, he passed away on July 8th, 1911. I mean, 2011. July 8th, 2011, in Woodland Hills, California. And uh, his portrayal of King Johnny was really over the top, uh, which was great for Dark Shadows because, you know, you love, you love dramatic performances like that. I think he was perfect in the role. Uh, good for Paul Michael. 821 marks the short debut of Henry Judd Baker, the second and last black actor uh, to be on Dark Shadows. Uh, the first, the other black actress on Dark Shadows was that nurse who you may have remembered uh, gave Humperdown and Strato a really tough time in the hospital regarding seeing Tom Jennings. And uh, Henry Judd Baker portrays Istvan, the uh, servant of King Johnny, uh, the big muscular guy. Um, he was in a couple of movies uh, in 1985, um, and after, after Hog, and then, uh, these movies are kind of, these movies are kind of forgettable. Shakedown in 1988, uh, let's see, uh, The Good Practitioner, uh, and, uh, he passed on August 28th, 2016. So uh, he is no longer with us, but uh, he, his role is Istvan, and of course Istvan will meet his death by uh, jumping off Widow's Hill uh, as Barnabas hypnotizes him in order to uh, get him away from uh, uh, kidnapping Magda. And so, uh, so he has earned a footnote in the Dark Shadows realm. Okay, here's some real trivia for you. I'm sure that uh, everyone is kept awake at night wondering who the actors were who portrayed the jury at Magda's trial. Uh, if you remember, uh, uh, King Johnny put Magda on trial for stealing the hand, and allegedly uh, Johnny thought that Magda had killed Julianka, who was portrayed by Diana Davila in the last block. In reality, Patafi was the one that had killed uh, Diana, Julianka, uh, but uh, Johnny wasn't aware of that. But basically, Johnny was out to put Magda to death in a slow, torturous way. So, this is a kind of reprise, if you guys remember from last year when Barnabas was put on trial by Reverend Trask. Uh, and, of course, the... the the punishment there was for Barnabas to be walled up the way he had walled up Trask. And Trask brought back ghosts from the 1795 era, Ruby Tate and Maud Browning and so forth. So this is really kind of a rip-off. They did it all over again, although they did do a little nicer job on the, on the um, 
on the uh, special effects uh, chroma key where they had the ghosts walking, uh, appearing and walking in through the mausoleum door because this trial was held in the ante room of the uh, of the mausoleum uh, in the, I should say, in the um, in the room in, in the Barnabas's uh, Barnabas's crypt room in the mausoleum and uh, there's a nice little blooper which I might as well mention now uh, which is while this is taking place uh, Johnny Romano is intoning, uh, and uh, one of the Klieg lights apparently, my guess is, is that the bulb exploded in one of the Klieg lights, which created a, uh, which created almost a flash effect, and then you heard that sound with like glass breaking, and it kind of startled uh, Paul Michael. He was doing a line, and after that, after that sound, he had to repeat the line again. See if you can figure out where that is. But let's get back now to who portrayed the uh, the, uh, the the ghosts in in the jury. And, he was, and these were all dead murderers uh, who came back. And uh, Roy Van Orden portrayed the ghost of Andreas. Joseph de las and uh, Joseph de las Hortas is the ghost of Sergio Cordash. Uh, uh, Joseph de los Hortas was born on May 5th, 1934 and uh, was in The Godfather Part 2 um, Toma in 73 Airwolf in 74 Quincy Medical Examiner in 76 Rockford Files uh, The Allegiant Fields he was in Baywatch and he was in Chips and so Joseph de los Hortas did some really interesting work after Dark Shadows. Okay, John LaMotta played the ghost of Marco, and he was born in Brooklyn on January 8th of 1939. And he was an American warrior in 85, running squad in 86. He was in ER, he was in Frasier, he was in uh, the... He was in Vampire in Brooklyn, for believe it or not. Uh, Breaking 2 and he was in a couple of other movies so he also had a little bit of a career after Dark Shadows was over okay Victor Mojica played the ghost of uh, played another one of the ghosts I can't read my writing and he was born uh, July 31st of 1937 in New York City Uh, he was in uh, The Final Countdown in 1980 uh, Blood In, Blood Out, 93, that's a forgettable picture, and Johnny Firecloud, 1975. And Norman, and, and he died, uh, he died uh, October 17th, 2019 in Florida, that was Victor Mojica. And finally, Norman Rigg is the ghost of Fedor, and he was in... Uh, he was in a couple of unforgettable movies, uh, one, a directory in 1960, and he was in the movie in 1980, so he didn't do too much after Dark Shadows. So those were the five extras who portrayed the jury in Magda's trial. In episode 830, we have a brief reappearance of Deborah Loomis, who portrayed Jesse Kincaid who was uh, Quentin's first kill as the werewolf, and she comes back as her ghost. And it's a very, very short scene. Uh, The way they made her up, she looked absolutely horrid. And I think 
they may the producers may have been concerned that she looked so she looked so scary that all the kids were going to run out of the room. So it looks like they kind of edited that scene and you just get a brief appearance of her as uh, as the ghost who comes back to uh, haunt Quentin and I believe warn Trask about him. So this is not really an appearance by Alex Stevens as the werewolf because he doesn't really... You don't really need him in this block because as you will find out... Uh, Charles Delaware Tate. Now, Roger Davis, of course, comes on as Charles Delaware Tate, the painter, uh, who uh, decides to uh, paint, uh, doesn't really decide, he's ordered by Patapi to uh, to do a painting of Quentin, and this is a ripoff of Dorian Gray, because uh, the painting holds Quentin's werewolf uh, image. And as long as the painting is around, Quentin will no longer undergo the transformation. At the time of the transformation, the painting itself will turn into that of a werewolf in, uh, in, in beautiful uh, great coat and, uh, and tie and ring and so forth. Once again, the best dressed werewolf you'll ever see in, uh, in the movies, TV, or anywhere. Uh, so that is now immortalized in the, um, in the painting. But uh, there is one episode, and I believe it is 839, uh, where uh, the image of Alex Stevens as the werewolf is seen by Selby. By Selby. It's a still. Uh, so I'm just going to note that as a kind of trivia. Uh, but they just used the picture of him. 842 marks the... Um, marks the three-episode appearance of Alexander Court as Charles Tate's creation. Uh, he There's a rip-off not only of Dorian Gray through this, but also Pygmalion and Galatea, as uh, Charles can draw, uh, and whatever Charles draws comes to life, which is something even Patapi wasn't aware of. And uh, so uh, Charles Delaware Tate, Roger Davis is experimenting and uh, draws and is trying to convince Amanda, who is another one of Charles Delaware Tate's creations. And we, uh, we will see that when we discuss this block. Uh, and it's kind of hard for Amanda to believe, but she realizes that prior to two years ago, she has no idea of what happened to her. And uh, March 15, 1895, apparently, was when she was uh, created. Two dates are noted on the show. Um, and the other is September 10, 1897, which is the date of Quentin's death. And uh, we get into that more. In fact, one of the, uh, one of the uh, voiceovers in the beginning actually points to the date of September 10th, 1897, which is when Quentin is supposed to die, to give the fans that, and that's the only voiceover that actually gives an exact date, not just the year. Uh, Alexander Court uh, was in Your Money or Your Wife in 1972, and uh, John and Mary in 1969. Uh, so, and he has a non-speaking role, uh, but but again, uh, 
not only is this a Pygmalion and Galatea ripoff, but Alexander Court's uh, treatment by Don Prisco, who's trying to get him to speak and trying to be nice, it reminds you of Professor Stokes and Adam. So it's kind of an Adam, uh, very, 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 very short, but an allusion uh, to the Adam story that Robert Rodin played, may he rest in peace, so expertly. And uh, he is killed off by Charles Delaware Tate, who shoots him. And uh, he disappeared, and Alexander Court is this creature, a named creature, disappears while he's on the ground. Episode 844 notes the return of Catherine Lee Scott as Lady Kitty Hampshire, uh, or Lady Kitty Selms, I should say, who is uh, the Earl of Hampshire, the late Earl of Hampshire's wife, and uh, his name was referred to as Gerald Soames. And uh, Catherine, you'll see Catherine Lee Scott in a number of these episodes. In this, we see that she is the true reincarnation of Josette. Uh, Barnabas met her once uh, and immediately falls in love again and has his big fight with Julia, who is extremely annoyed that Barnabas has once again found the love of his life. And uh, Julia thought that, that Barnabas was going to go back now with her to the present, uh, since everything with Quentin was, uh, history was changed as a result of their interaction. And Quentin did not die on the uh, 10th, as he originally did. And, but Barnabas now wants to stay uh, in 1897 and establish a relationship with uh, Kitty Soames and turn her into Josette Foley. And uh, if possible, and that was before he was staked. In any event, Catherine Lee Scott plays this very interestingly. I personally think that she kind of played this like Tara from Gone with the Wind. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, entitlement. There's some fiddle-dee-dee in there. Uh, I asked Catherine uh, about this, and she did not believe that that was done that way. Uh, she didn't intend to do it that way, so I'm just um, I'm just noting that as to her professional opinion of the role. But anyway, she does come back, and she will be around for a little while as uh, Kitty Soames, Lady Hampshire. A very brief footnote in, footnote in episode 851. The woman on the uh, train platform who talks to Selby, who tries unsuccessfully to uh, stop Amanda Harris from leaving uh, due to a mix-up where she never got his note. Uh, So the woman on the platform is actress Amy Yackerson. And uh, unnamed woman on uh, the platform who has uh, who uh, David Selby accidentally confuses her with Amanda at first, and that leads to a brief conversation. Now you're going to find some very interesting crossovers in this block, by the way, where uh, the some of the characters, some of the actors portray characters both in. 1897, as well as the present, and of course Grayson Hall is one of those who, in addition to portraying Magda, portrays Julia, and the big deal here is that Julia uh, uses the I Ching to go back to 1897 to help Barnabas, and so now we have her in the mix, which is a very interesting, which is very interesting in terms of the plot is concerned. Thayer David, who portrays Katafi most of the time, comes back one more time as Xandor, 
during the trial. Uh, she, he is the one witness that Magna calls, Magda calls in her defense, and uh, all, and, and he's completely railroaded by Johnny Romano. And all you hear, uh, Thayer David must have had a very easy role aside from the makeup. All he goes is say, Magda Rakosi, Magda Rakosi, all the time, uh, in terms of that. Um, you have other crossovers. You have uh, uh, Edward, uh, Louis Edmonds as Edward, and uh, he portrays Roger in the dream sequence uh, that Julia has. Actually, it's kind of a prognostication uh, where, uh, because history has now been changed, and Quentin actually killed David in the original timeline, and uh, David is uh, David is uh, is on his. Uh, or whatever you want to call it, uh, in his coffin, and uh, David all of a sudden wakes up in front of Roger. And uh, so you have them playing both roles there. Uh, and uh, so, so, watch out for, so watch out for dual roles. Um, oh, and of course, uh, Denise Nickerson, uh, as Nora, uh, portrays Amy. Uh, in the particular in the particular plot line where uh, Barnabas leaves a note uh, for Julia, which causes Julia to come back to get him, and that's put into a drawer, which in the ba- in 1897 it exists in the basement, but it will be in the uh, live it will be in the living area of the old house in 1969. Um, Denise Nickerson as Amy finds that, and uh, Julia. Uh, manages to appropriate it because Amy doesn't want to give it to her first, but Julia gets it, and that's how we find that out. So, so watch for these, uh, watch for some of these actors portraying dual roles during this uh, during this block. It's very interesting. Now let's get to the bloopers. So, in addition to the usual Mike Boons on the shadows, which I'm not going to, which I'm not going to go into, there are some, there are some. Bloopers, not as much as there were the last time, uh, but uh, of course the traveling Afghan, uh, which uh, is part of uh, the original setup in Maggie's house and is on the couch. You will see that again on the couch uh, of the same set, which is which is occupied by Charles Delaware Tate. In, um, in this in this block, the traveling Afghan is also part of Lenora's blanket uh, on the uh, on the floor, and uh, that's where uh, that's where she is being kept in uh, Mrs. Fillmore's house. So watch out for that traveling Afghan, and also watch out for the Collinsport fly that makes a brief appearance. Um, Lady Hampshire is having a dream. <clears throat> Where uh, with Angelique, uh, where uh, a- where she is, where Angelique portrays uh, the servant, and uh, very briefly in the dream, um, Catherine Lee Scott is once again Josette, although she doesn't realize it, and uh, Angelique gives her uh, a bunch of flowers and a book, um, a book of Burns, and uh, those two items are on the table when she wakes up uh, in the uh, in the at the end of one episode the flowers are on top of the book uh, 
in the set in the reprise, which is done in the next episode for a scene, the flowers are separate from the book. Um, Catherine Lee Scott goes to pick up the book, and the Collinsport fly lies briefly on her f- lying. Uh, aligns briefly on her finger, lies briefly on her finger, then flies off. Good to see you again, Collinsport Fly. Just a footnote, Dan Curtis episode, directed episode 811. Uh, Violet Wells wrote it. You don't see that too often here because Henry Kaplan is doing most of the direction uh, with uh, Gordon Russell, Sam Hall, and uh, Wells also contributes, but Dan Curtis directed episode 811. There's a very brief voiceover blooper by Briscoe in episode 813 where he uh, talks about uh, taking taking a coach and he first he says out of the hotel, then he says out of the inn because it is the Collinsport Inn where they're staying at. Very, very minor. The bloopers where in episode 814 where uh, Pitafi is lying in state, so to speak. He's dying. Uh, and, of course, uh, Aristide's got to get the hand in order to revive him. And uh, Thayer David uh, first lies uh, with, his, uh, with his hands uh, to either saw uh, on his chest. And then he keeps moving them. And he's supposed to be in a coma. But he keeps moving his hands. He keeps moving. He keeps moving his hands to the, um, you know, to either to either side of his body. And then he moves one hand back into his chest. And then he moves it back to the body. And you're gonna and, and you see that he keeps moving. And he's trying to he's trying to become comfortable. But the man's supposed to be in a coma for God's sakes. And uh, and of course everybody everybody ignores it uh, because. Uh, you know, you would think that that would be evidence that he would be coming out of whatever he's in. Very, very nice. And in, and in another blooper in that episode, uh, David, uh, David, David, David Hennessy as Jameson is unconscious because he has been possessed by the spirit of David, which is very, very interesting, by the way, to be possessed by a spirit that has not been born yet. And I think is a very, very creative part of Dark Shadows because usually when you're possessed, it's with somebody who's already died. So, uh, but anyway, uh, at one point when the scene starts, uh, David Hennessy has his eyes closed. He opens his eyes to make sure the camera's on him, and then he closes them again. Uh, but good for you, though, David. Uh, David, you're allowed. Uh, he did such a great job. And I go into that later in the podcast. He does such he did a great, great job in portraying these other characters that he was possessed with, um, whether it's uh, Patafi or uh, whoever it is, uh, or David, uh, and uh, and and that definitely deserves uh, some honorable mention for him in this blog. Look for the nice sedgeways, by the way. Uh, some really good camera work. Uh, in uh, looking at the flame, for instance, uh, of uh, in, in in the Collinwood fireplace, and then it goes right to the flame of another uh, in another scene. Very very seamless stuff, and so that's very very good camera work. I believe Layla Swift was doing the job back then. Episode eight sixteen. You see two interesting bloopers, but again, you have to have a very big screen to look at this. When Don Briscoe opens the main door to Collinwood, you see glazed windows 
uh, from the bushes, and I think that that was trying to cover the exit door that we talked about in uh, a prior block when David Selby opened, and there weren't enough bushes, and you actually saw an exit door, which I think led to the steps, and you saw a red and white exit sign. So I think they're trying to cover it here uh, with, with, with glazed windows, but there aren't enough bushes, so you actually see that. Uh, another blooper in 816 is when Briscoe is trying not to laugh when uh, Petafi says, it's mine again, like a hand. And he does this in a very officious way. Uh, and uh, you can actually see uh, Don Briscoe trying to stifle giggles. Episode 817 has the um, vision that Petafi gives to Beth about what will happen to her if uh, she uh, keeps uh, consorting with Barnabas, where Barnabas bites her, and it's really the only scene where you see uh, Terry Crawford as the vampire Beth, and she bears her fangs towards the camera, and you see that she's got uh, that her left fang looks like she's got a filling there in the tooth, so it's a little it's a little dirty. Uh, but it's, it's very, very funny, and, and, and Terry Crawford always at the conventions uh, made reference to that one scene where she finally became a vampire, even if it was only uh, in uh, secret. He got that green light on her, and uh, she looks so ghoulish uh, in that particular scene. Watch out for the closed captioning bloopers here for any of you who have Amazon Prime. I'm not going to go into all of them. But the 818 Aristide is uh, Harris Deed, H-A-R-R-I-S, and then the word D-E-E-D, which is, uh, which is really cute. Um, also, uh, another one in this episode, Patafi states she made the gods angry. Closed captioning, she made the guards, G-U-A-R-D-S, angry. And the funniest one, also in, and also closed caption in this episode, uh, is uh, when Patapi said, My dear Miss Trask. And the closed captioning says, My dear Miss Trask. In episode 820, uh, you're going to see uh, King Johnny Romano slapping Magda a couple of times. Uh, and it's, it's, very, very, it's very, very obvious that they're doing that little... Um, fake slap where he waves his hand in front of her face and then you have the sound effect of the slap. You see that a couple of times. He's not really slapping Grayson Hill. Uh, he's pretending to. But uh, and that's, that's, not, <laughs> that's not done too well. But uh, it is funny if you see it. Now again if you were seeing this 50 years ago on that small TV you never would have been able to tell the difference. I'm going to go back to uh, the stars for just a second, and I apologize to people. I forgot all about Philip Cusack, C-U-S-A-K, who portrayed Abraham Howell, uh, the corpse, in 821, uh, where uh, Magda had had cut off uh, Abraham Howell's hand and uh, pretended... uh, well, no, excuse me. It was Petafi. It was Petafi who did that uh, to try and uh, distract uh, Johnny Romano uh, from getting a hand by using another hand of the corpse, which Charles Delaware Tate uh, kind of uh, touched up. 
and that was the corpse of Abraham Howell, uh, one of the one of the one of the people in the cemetery. That was portrayed by Philip Cusack, who was in Nine to Five with uh, in 1982, according to uh, the uh, according to his bio. bio. Uh, although I looked up Nine to Five, I couldn't see his name. Uh, and his date of birth was uh, May 10, 1934 in Boston. So, uh, just in case the fans are groaning because they thought we forgot about Abraham Howe, Philip Cusack, now you know. I think one of the biggest bloopers uh, in 823 where uh, Patafi lets Frid out of the coffin where he had been keeping him prisoner by putting a cross on his chest well, he takes the cross off of his chest, and he's shining the cross right at Barnabas, and Barnabas is looking right at him, and it doesn't seem to affect him while he has this long dialogue with Patafi. And uh, then uh, <laughs> then once uh, Patafi decides he's got to go back in the coffin, he really moves the cross in his face, and then, then Fritz turns away. But for at least five to ten minutes, they're having a nice talk while Patafi has the cross in front of him in plain view, and uh, Barnabas does not flinch. 823-824, which was, apparently they had a holiday, so one episode goes for kind of both of them. And uh, here we see a closed captioning blooper. Uh, Patafi is talking about listening to Berlioz, or Berlioz, and the closed caption did not know how to spell it, so they left it completely out, and uh, another blooper, you see the clock, and the column, and the shadow passes by the clock, uh, so we don't know what that's about. Episode 825, a closed caption blooper, uh, they cut off your tongue, was what they were supposed to have said, but the closed caption said they cut off your dad. I don't know what that's about. 825 has a great blooper where uh, Istvan is trying to gag Magda uh, with a uh, w- with a handkerchief, and he misses her mouth <laughs> the first time, and he's and he's and, and and it's like going over her eyes, and Grayson Hall bites part of the part of the handkerchief so that he can so that he can retie it around her mouth. And that's at the end of 825. And in the beginning of 826, then it's redone, and he gags her mouth the right way. Very good. Looks like 828 is the last episode for Paul Michael, who is stabbed by Aristide as Paul Michael is about to cut off a stop with Patafi's hand. In the original vision that Pansy Faye had, uh, she actually saw the hand being chopped off by the scimitar. Here, Aristide plunges a knife, throws the knife, I should say, into uh, Paul Michael's back. Uh, he is, you see, he, he is still breathing. Uh, he might have still been alive. So we'll, we'll take that away. We'll take that away from him. We won't take that away from him. But anyway, that's the last episode in 828 that Paul Michael appears in. I do have to mention, um, very interesting in, in one of the episodes, look at the door uh, that leads in, in Patafi's apartment that leads from the main area into that little room that Patafi puts himself in to have a trance. 
And what you're going to see in a couple of the episodes, believe it or not, are the outline of the I Ching uh, wands through the door. I believe that this was used as the I Ching door because uh, Patafi had a number of people go through the I Ching. He himself did it, Beth did it, uh, Briscoe did it, and it was all in that room. So the I Ching door doubled as the door to Patafi's room. You're going to see the you're going to see an outline of the black uh, I Ching as well as the white, and in another episode that's all painted over, and you don't see that anymore. I think that's uh, I think that's fascinating. In 834, we don't also don't know the name of the hexagram uh, that is used to send one of them through. And uh, we know the 49th hexagram, the hexagram of change, and there's the Poe hexagram. But in one of them, the uh, hexagram is missing. We don't know which hexagram that is. In episode 838, look, uh, listen for a cough backstage as Jameson is waiting by the door. In episode 838, uh, look for a figure moving in the right-hand corner of the screen. Uh, and then moves away uh, in um, in Collinwood. Some of these uh, breakable wine glasses that are put in Patafi's hands and are supposed to break when he when he when he squeezes it because he's angry at what's happening. Selby's done the same thing. Well, in this particular one, uh, in eight thirty eight. I think where he's supposed to scratch Quentin across the face, uh, the glass doesn't really break when he when he crash when he cr- tries to crack it. Uh, but he moves across the face anyway. And of course, it's uh, fake. Uh, the bottom line is is that the portrait is supposed to show all the blood running down his cheek, and Quentin is not affected. Episode eight forty five, Bangor in closed captioning is noted as Baneborough. Best line in 852, uh, instead of these, li- these one-liners going to Roger and they're not going to Quentin, when Angelique says, I'll be a beautiful bride, and Quentin says, and I'll be a miserable, unhappy groom. Episode 853, you will note that while Kitty talks to Quentin in the drawing room, the camera catches Laura Parker waiting in the wings for her cue, and she then moves out of the camera range because uh, she realized she was there a little too early. Finally, in episode, and I'm sure you're very happy I said finally, in episode 854, Aristide calls Patafi your honor, and usually he always calls him your excellency. So that was a blooper on Michael Stroker's part. So, thank you for listening, all you devoted blooper fans. And for those of you who are not, thank you for tolerating. And now we get back to what is a really, really good show. And uh, see you next time. Hello, welcome to Literary License Podcast. And we're discussing Dark Shadows, episodes from August to September 1969, which includes episodes 10, 855. And our first discussion will be Quentin's story, which is scene one. Armistice's medallion fails to cure Quentin's daughter, Lenora. Magda summons a spirit to help. 
At Trask's suggestion, the possessed Edward begins to strangle Quentin. Quentin and Beth try to free Barnabas, but are unable to overcome Count Patafi's powers. Tate has finished the portrait of Quentin and realized that Quentin is a werewolf. Quentin releases Barnabas. Charity has a vision of Quentin's death in the lower room, in the tower room, sorry. Armed with a gun, containing the bullet, Trask waits up to the moon rises, but discovers the portrait has changed instead. Well, God, I messed that up. Sorry. Armed with a gun, containing silver bullets, Trask waits for the werewolf to emerge. Quinn does not change when the full moon rises, but discovers the portrait has changed instead. Barnabas sends Magda to warn Quentin. In 1969, the ghost of Beth explains to Julia how Quentin ordinarily originally died in 1897. Patofi prevents Beth from shooting Quentin, but Quentin must pay the price for his help. Oh, Tom, what are your thoughts of this storyline? Well, I just I, I just wanted to add that um, we have a brief reprise from Marie Wallace as the ghost of Jenny, uh, who uh, comes on who comes on. Oh the- yeah, that's right. That was several episodes back. I forgot about that for a sec. And she comes uh, and she comes on board the way she looked uh, when she was uh, young and beautiful and, and not bad shit. Know, and so we, yeah, without all the hairdo and everything, you know, uh, they could have prettied her up some. You know, when she was being crazy, is they could have found a brush. I'm sorry, the woman is drop dead gorgeous. Brush her hair at least. She could be mad with brushed hair. But the funny thing was, is that that's what she's known for among the fans today. That's what they love about her. But I, but they, but that particular segment isn't always talked about where she, uh, her ghost came back. I think I, Quentin was trying to call Julianka back. Uh, oh, that's right. That's to, right. Uh, and and uh, Jenny came instead, and she basically uh, cured Lenore from whatever uh, from whatever ailment uh, that threatened to that threatened to kill her as well. Who was well, making them sick? Was it the curse? I can't remember. Uh, it was the curse. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Well, the curse killed the kid. Right, the boy. Uh, and uh, but shouldn't he have gotten older and turned into a werewolf? Who's this? The uh, Quentin son. Well, he died. Uh, but had he, but had he lived, he would have. Yes, had he lived, he would have become a werewolf. But the and, daughter, like but the, the raven, daughter, it's only the male heirs. Is never more. It's only that's right. That's <laughs> right. Never more. There you go. <laughs> Whole rip off. Well, if dark shadows could do it, you could do it too. There's, you know, there's uh, there's all the voices, but. Um, that was uh I, I thought that was a that was a nice touch and uh, uh bringing Marie Wallace back for one episode as Jenny's ghost and uh, you see that she's really uh you know and Quentin is trying to make up to her and tell her he loves her and the next thing you know he's in Beth's arms again and he's in and uh of course this block we have and of course we're skipping over but we have Donna McKechnie who uh comes on uh for the first time Donna McKechnie of course line fame as Amanda Harris uh but I will, I will tell you that, you know, I, this is my, uh, my favorite, my favorite thing in, in this block is, is something else. But, um, the, but here we get a, we get a sense of the fact that, uh, Barnabas is not as all powerful as, uh, he thought he was because, uh, uh, Quentin, uh, Barnabas was trapped by Patafi. Uh, and the cross was on his chest, and Barnabas couldn't move in the coffin. 
And uh, all you see for a few episodes is is uh, Jonathan. Oh, and in a pine box coffin, you know. I'll tell you, he's really come down in the world. He's he's been in these gorgeous coffins, uh, with, you know, full length, all you know, all during the show. And now he's in a little pine box. Toffee's oh, a cheap bastard. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't mind if he gets lost lost in baggage. <laughs> I figure maybe he turns Jewish, you know, because you know in the Jewish religion, the pine boxes are what you have to be buried in. Uh but uh you know, so you know, so uh, how how low they how low they have sunk. Uh let's put it that way. But um I uh you know, I mean is there's just there's a mishmash going on here and you and you have to realize and as we go into this uh and you go into the other scenes there are a lot there is a lot of stuff happening uh it's just a clusterfuck let's just say it it is <laughs> it's just a barrage it of in, I, think they just went too, I just think they went crazy with everything and you know and uh i didn't i know enjoy- just like were they writing together or were they writing separately than meeting? They're supposedly <laughs> you know? meeting. Uh, I, I would think Violet Wells is uh, again has her hand in this block, and she's a great writer. But I think oh, I'm not saying it's bad. Time. I'm just saying it's yeah, just all over the place. Time. I did like the uh, going back to 1969. You know, I mean, we've seen for a brief 1890s. second. Yeah. We've seen that for so long already, and now you know when Barnabas writes the uh, uh, when Barnabas thinks he's uh, finished, and he writes the letter to Julia, which he puts in the desk. Who just uh, happened? Yeah, that aren't they lucky that letter just happened to get found by Amy, by Amy, and uh, then you see Julia and Professor Stokes again, and you know, and you get a. And oh boy, we haven't seen them in a while, you know that kind of thing. So, yeah. so Grayson Hall can wear regular makeup, and and uh, Thayer David can sound professorial again instead of Magda. That and, dumb uh, wig. I'm sorry, who hates on me? I don't like the wig. Yeah. <laughs> well, as Professor Stokes, he doesn't have to wear the wig. Uh, but uh, the the idea of yeah, they had to. They, well, how did Quentin die? Well. There's the original. There, the, yes, the original. but is that Quentin's bones? No. That's what um, I'm saying. Well, we're going to we're going to find out whose bones those are because the Quentin now, of course, fights this. So his bones yep. probably just you know. Well, just because you found a skeleton in Quentin's room, yeah, everybody's been assuming it's Quentin's Quentin, skeleton. Yeah. And now we find out that it wasn't. Uh, so we will find out whose it is next block in the next block or in another yes definitely probably in the next block Uh, but uh, it does at least clear up uh, and and, you know and originally and you know all these timelines and how they're changed and how alternate remember when they were originally talking uh, Quentin was a werewolf and he got shot and killed by a hunter or something, and that was a couple of blocks ago. So now it's kind of matured, and that was before the writers really figured out what was going to happen and what was going to go on. So now, of course, you know, they're now now it's kind of evolved. Uh, so, uh, David Selby's fandom is uh, is in solid and stone, and they know they're going to keep this guy. Uh, so they've got to they've got to make up, and that's where. 
and it could be in another scene, Keith, forgive me if I, if I briefly touch on that, but the picture of Dorian Gray ripoff, uh, we have a few ripoffs here. You have a picture of Dorian oh, Gray yeah, ripoff. You have a Galatea ripoff. Big uh, Bailey and Galatea, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, but the bottom but the bottom line is so now we have an established reason um, that Quentin was uh, killed by Beth uh, out of a fear of uh, jealousy, and then uh, after Dave after Jameson rejected him, uh, and uh, then uh, Beth. Beth committed suicide uh, the next morning, and that was the original plot. Now, Patafi changes history by preventing all that from happening. And that's very interesting in terms of scene one, uh, in, in, in terms of, I think, it's, it's not major when you look at Patafi wants to go to the future, and that's a, that's a well. Is it, well, we can't forget Nancy Barrett. I yep. want to dance with you. Wanna <laughs> dance your cars I'll do the eight Chico. Oh my God. Nancy Barrett is so good in these, these scenes. I love her to death in all these. She's so and cute she's, for one. I, and I love the way she bugs the hell out of Trask. Oh, he's so ashamed of her, you know. Oh, you, I know. She's it, all saucy and sultry. And come up to your up. room immediately, paint. Charity. <laughs> you know? Got her war paint on. She says, leave me alone, love. I've got my own things I mean, to do with the <laughs> I know. She reminds me of Ian. No, wait. She reminds me of Graham Chapman making the, doing that voice that he always did in Monty Python. It just reminds me. I don't know why. It, it just funny. does. But uh, there are, uh, by the way, there are a number of uh, versions of I Want to Dance. I'm sorry, Keith. What was that? But, um, the Quentin storyline, anyway. I mean, he originally could have been killed as a werewolf, but of course, Barnabas does messing with time goes back and that's probably the reason right right well because he there's plenty of times where he was supposed to go out on the prowl as a werewolf but um, barnabas kept him locked up to help protect him and stuff like that so that could have happened that might be you know to give the writers maybe a little bit of credit here maybe that's right Storylines and stuff. And Angelique is always warning him. Uh, that's why she wants to get him back to the present as soon as possible. Because she's saying he's the more he stays, the more he changes the future, the uh, future, the more he changes history, and the more of a possibility that he's going to be uh, in danger because of his actions. It's going to, and she's always warning him, he's not listening. Barnabas is that old parable that um, the road of good intentions. <laughs> The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah, because I mean, uh, everything that Barnabas touches, he tries to fix something. Goes and to shit. And <laughs> so he's like a little boy with, you know, putting his finger in the dike. He's trying to plug up all these holes. It just gets worse and worse. So. You got to feel bad for Barnabas because he just wants so badly to protect, you know, the family. He has, Barnabas doesn't have a God complex, though. Where he thinks he can fix any everything sort of thing. Well, yeah, kind of. But now already, I think you've seen the full mature Barnabas come out as uh, the compassionate vampire who apologizes to Beth for having bitten her and used her and stuff. You know, Patafi tried to uh, tried to confuse Beth by giving her that famous scene, uh, and it's the only scene where. Uh, Terry Crawford used to say that was the only scene where she was allowed to wear fangs uh, when she beca- when she became right. a, when she became a vampire. She got a kick out of that. Um, and uh, the but 
but in reality, and they're all saying, oh, Barnabas is, and, and she was always, Beth was always mad because she, Barnabas wanted uh, her to release him from the coffin and Patafi prevented her from doing that. And she was always saying, oh, he's going to be so mad at me. He's going to take it out on me. And when Push came to job, you know, he said, of course, I'm not mad at you. You know, it was Patafi uh, that did it. You know, it wasn't your fault. And and he then he admits to her that he used her, and he feels very regretful about that. That is not the Barnabas that we saw in episode two ten. Wow, you know. So he's so this is the the final mature, uh, you know, compa- you know, compassionate vampire who regrets what he does, uh, but he has to do it. You know, in terms of uh, people that inwardly he cares for, and he's definitely the original vampire with a conscience. That's what it's turned into, and that's what Jonathan will always be remembered for. And nowhere is it more, more nowhere can you see it more than here. Barnabas makes some thinking as well. What's that? I think the Quentin's a different Quentin than we got when we first went. Yes. Yes. They They kind of really, the chemistry between Barnabas and Quentin really worked because they really needed each other. And I kind of liked seeing the friendship form because let's face it, they hated each other in the beginning. But then they Very started relying on each other. And then they both realized they both had an affliction, you know. Well, well most of that was Quentin's fault. With between most, the two of them. Most of that was Quentin's fault in the beginning. Uh, because, uh, you know, I think the first thing he does is, hello, cousin, and takes a, and takes a scimitar to him. Uh, takes a sword to him in the drawing room. Um, he's uh, a very, yeah, Quentin's, a, you know, Quentin's in there do well and trying to live with people and all that. Anyway. What are your thoughts, Jesse? Um, okay, so speaking of the reluctant vampire, um, I just recently seen um, interview with the vampire for the first time. And I noticed a lot of reluctant vampire action going on there with uh, Louis. Right. And I was wondering if you guys think if. Yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) I think, I mean, I was honestly really impressed with that. And I think so, but some of her people, her fans might not think so. Yeah, yeah, I've heard. It was the closest thing to Dark Shadows that I've seen that was a truly original and well, kind Louis of Well, suffered terribly being a vampire. Yeah. You know, he hated it. Yeah. In the and book, he sits so Louis beside himself. The book is even better. It's in the 1790s, Louis becomes a vampire. Right. Yeah, I know. I, I noticed a lot of the... Then you go the through Victorian times. It, it, she has to have been inspired by that. Yeah. A little bit. Into the present day, where he's being interviewed. Right. <laughs> so I thought that was very fascinating. And I would, I don't know, I would love to see, I don't know, something, either that be made into a show or Dark Shadows. I mean, I want, like, new, fresh, fresh blood. Um, it it, it doesn't. It's it so sad to, like, lose all of that. It's in the pipeline at the moment, so. That, I, heard, I heard about that. I think they're already picking out um, actors. I heard Sam Reed is going to be uh, with Scott. And I also heard of, they're doing um, a redo? No, they're, yeah, doing, they're a doing a show. It's a TV show of that. And I also heard, again, another suggestion for a Dark Shadows TV show, which I'm kind of excited about um, because they uh, they want to stick more true to the original series and kind of continue off of that. And I read um, an interview by the guy. I forget what his name is now, but... I, I when I when I heard that initially I wasn't too excited, but after reading the interview, I had a lot more uh, intrigue and hope for 
a continuation and it has a lot to do with um victoria winter's uh daughter i think <laughs> and i thought that was very cool and um i thought it was cool because the character's name uh for this would be tori danvers i believe and tori like i was working on my own just for fun like years ago and tori was actually a character that I created based off of Victoria Winter's character. So I thought it was cool that they used that name because it was something that I was going to use for mine. Uh, just the first name. I didn't have the last, but I thought that was cool. Um, so I'm kind of excited to hear about that. I don't know if you guys have heard about that, but um, I thought it was uh, fun news. So this brings us to scene two, Kampatafi story. Tim returns to town with Amanda Harris, along with a box containing the hand of Count Patafi. Jameson, desperate to find the hand, forces the truth from Nora, who has hidden it for Tim. Barnabas brings the hand to Artisteed. Patafi soon recovers and his hand is reattached. Patafi says he will cure Jameson if Barnabas will reveal the secret of his time travel, travel through time. Patafi causes Jameson to become possessed by the spirit of David Collins. Charity sees a vision which alarms Patafi. He causes her to believe she is Pansy Fay. Angelique agrees to try and end Patafi's spell. Patafi arrives with a mysterious portrait. So Vic, what's your thoughts about Count Patafi? You know, my thoughts are on Count Patafi. <laughs> Oh my God, the story is just like taking forever with Count Patafi. It's just got too many tentacles and it's going out. Um, I'm really kind of shocked mm -hmm. at what a butthole Tim has turned into. You know, he's just not a nice guy, is he? And Amanda, I mean, she's the, what is it? She Galatea or is he? But no, wait, the, um, who's his yeah. name? Yeah, she is. But the yeah, um, Roger Davis, and I always got to keep Roger Davis's characters like straight because he's played so many different characters in the last I don't know how many episodes he's had like three different characters, mm -hmm. and they're all a bit samey as well. And uh, yeah, and then you get Jameson. Okay, he's possessed by the spirit of David Collins. I don't understand why that even happened. I think it's interesting though because this is the first time you know usually when you have possessed uh, spirits. It's the past. It's uh, you're possessed by a spirit that has already died. This is the first time that we've been, that the character has been possessed by, and it's his own uh, grandson. Somebody that's great not grandson. been born. It's his own great. Yeah. But, but yes, it's, he's been possessed by a spirit that has not yet been born. I thought that was rather. Not unless creative. you believe in quantum leap and parallel universes. So. Well, there you go. And then we could talk about Sam Beckett, but I don't think yeah. we're hearing of that. We could. Yep, yep. But and it is interesting the way, you, the way you talk. But, yeah, he's possessed by the spirit of his own great-grandson, I think, you know, because of Jameson. Uh, well, no, it's his grandson because Jameson. Yes, there's really not a Robert. whole lot of time that is it's passed his between, between the Victorian era, era and, and the 60s. It's, what, 70, 80 years, maybe? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering why no one's still alive. Why aren't the kids still alive? Isn't anybody alive, you know, that that remembers? Well, it's a hundred years. Well, it's not it's less than a hundred years, isn't it? Yeah. 70, 70 years, I think, or something. But but anyway, I, I I thought that was he's possessed by the spirit of his own grandson. 
and uh, talking to, and you know, this is how the 1897 characters get a hold, get a hold of who David and Amy and Elizabeth and Roger uh-huh. are, and it's injecting more of the present. It's kind of mixing the present now into the 1897 arc, right? And and there's something, and there's something fresh about that. And uh, you never know what David is going to say out of his mouth next in, right. uh, in terms of Jameson. Plus, is Pansy Faye Pansy Faye, or is she possessed by the spirit of Pansy Faye? She's charity possessed by the spirit of Pansy Faye. Uh, Petafi, those, th- that was never... I remember uh, when he cursed her, but I didn't know if he mm-hmm. just messed with her head or actually sealed a, a spirit in her. So. He did both. Originally, I think he gave her a little taste of it and she kept going back between charity and pansy. Right. And finally, uh, he said, this is your new life. And uh, he permanently oh imbued God, that. Yeah. They and keep going they- back and forth a lot, though. Everybody's losing their memory, then coming back. What is, I mean, like you... It's just like everybody's having these bouts of, you know. Well, I like I like that the ter- they they took the virgin and turned it into a whore. I thought that was quite funny. Right, right. <laughs> they took what? Two, ex- two extremes of the spectrum. It's like, Uh-oh. yeah, I'll pay for marriage. Oh, I'm Pansy May. You also, you know, can I can I take you behind the shed and give you a little? <laughs> <laughs> she does it so well, though that accent and and you know she she. I think Nancy um, Nancy Barrett just off the charts <laughs> in these episodes. I totally love her. No, I think in, in, in as uh, aside from <laughs> Carolyn, aside from the Carolyn character, which was you know basically uh, when am I going to grow up? Uh, this is a, a real real takeoff, and uh, I think she, Nancy Barrett has a lot of fun with it. And, I think she is too, and, and especially when that. she. When, when she comes up against uh, Jerry Lacey's Trask, that old stuffed shirt, you know, and she's like, and he's, he's like, a pervert. Oh, yeah, that he is. Oh, he's running after Amanda. He's running after, uh, he's running after Donna McKechnie. Uh, and uh, so is Quentin, by the way. Uh, and oh, uh, everyone's sniffing around her. Everyone. The dog sniffing around her. And Tim Shaw. And Tim Shaw. Tim. And do- and, and it is a treat for Briscoe, I think, also here to do a more evil character. I mean, up to now, he well, he did Tom Jennings as the vampire, but that was all that was very, very, uh, that was very short. Uh, most of uh, you know, most of the time, he's Chris Jennings, and uh, and we remember him as the tortured Lon Chaney kind of soul. Uh, but here he's somebody who was good, and he kind of. He kind of turned it. Patafi hand, uh, Patafi hand intoxicated him with power and everything like that. It's nice to see Briscoe. What is it with that hand? I mean, was he a master magician prior to him being, you know, disconnected with his hand? No, I think the hand, you know, the hand it has it was was emblematic. Yeah, exactly. Emblematic of a lot of powers, and then of course it was it was cut off. I, I did kind of like Paul Michael's King Johnny Romano. You know, he was very, uh, you know, he you know he colorful, was, uh, abs- absolutely, you know, and, and an Italian Roman cheese. And now <laughs> like take I said, you. I ask my mom if there's Italian gypsies because I don't remember any Italian gypsies. The name of my grandfather Miklos and my great granduncle Miklas. And all that kind of, you know, and they get that. 
But of course, now Magnus trial, and that's another, that's, that's another. Now that, now they, they went over, remember when Barnabas was put on trial by Reverend Trask and they brought in all those characters from 1795 uh, during the 1968 sequence. Well, now they're trying it all over again with Magda. Only this time they brought all these gypsy murderers back that, uh, but they were dead. So that means seriously. You know, I mean, if you're not on this earthly plane, you cannot judge. But apparently, you know, it well, means that any witnesses on Dark Shadows have to be part dead. of Magda's story, which we'll get to in the next section. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he, uh, interesting. but they did start with the uh, was it the portrait of Dorian Gray? Did he scratch him in this one where the painting started bleeding? Yeah, he, 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 he broke a glass. Uh, I love it when they. That's right. He the broke glasses. the plastic glass or the and sugar he, glass. And then he and then he cut his face with it, and but Quentin wasn't bleeding from his face, and and then you see the picture, and the picture is bleeding. Uh, it looked like it was uh, tomato juice, actually. But Stuff like uh, that. yeah, yeah. But um, I mean, the only I think the only problem that they have at Campatafi is that it's good to have a great villain and he makes a great villain, but some, you got every once in a while, you got to make that villain falter a little bit. And they, there's nothing to falter at all. He just seems to come back stronger and stronger and stronger. To well, they did it. once remember Johnny Romano. Uh, that's the one person that Patafi's Why is he so afraid of the gypsies? On. That's right. Johnny He's Rom- not a gypsy himself, right, Tom? What, Johnny Romano? No, no. Count- oh, no, Count- no, no. He's a Hungarian uh, nobleman. P- P- okay, Hungarian, Hungarian, okay. He's a Hungarian yeah. gypsy with... Um, well, I don't think he was a gypsy. Great parentage and an Italian name. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I just got... I don't... Because I, I, you know, when you don't feel good, I was like binging all these. And I sometimes I snooze. So I'm so like, the- oh, wow, what I miss? You know? Anyway, there was this, uh, you know, the big battle where... Johnny Romano finds Patafi in right. his lair, and Patafi tries to choke him with the hand, and he just takes it right. And Romano takes it right off, and then Patafi is powerless against him. He is the one character in the entire world that Patafi cannot hurt because of this. Uh, I don't know because this gypsy thing that uh, you know that the hand, you know that they it's the guardian of the hand, so to speak. And um, if uh, Aristide had knifed him in the back with Aristide's usual uh, brave approach, right. uh, then uh, then the hand would have been cut off. And that's the that was the dream, that was the vision, actually, that uh, Pansy had. Uh, Pansy had a vision of uh, him being cut off. You can change the channel on that. Uh, so anyway, um, I mean, Patafi, I mean, I mean, Aristide, I mean, his whipping boy. I'm not quite sure why he's the whipping boy. Do, do we ever find out what he has against What does Aristide he, even trust him for? Can't you see this? Who does, he, he wants to send wants to send all these people to the... I'm going to have to get some Aichi wands. I mean, these things look like a lot of fun, don't they? I mean, seriously, I, Aristide, I don't think anybody matters at all. I don't think... Patafi is capable of love or humanity because he's really evil. I mean, he's evil incarnate and he doesn't have feelings and he loves playing people against each other and on each other. And 
I don't even know what Aristide Aristide's just a gypsy, isn't he? That just came into the picture, decided to help Patafi. Aristide is his servant, and we don't really have a backstory on how they met. Uh, but uh, as, all, as long as you've seen Patafi in 1897, you've seen Aristide. Right. I mean, it does seem but like just- Patafi doesn't do anything unless... I mean, he, if he does something good for you, that means you're being service to him. You're beholden so, to him. Yeah, yeah. If he like, well, what he did for Quentin with the with, with the portrait, he wants Quentin. Yeah, yeah. With the portrait, he wants Quentin to work for him. That's why he cured him of the werewolf curse. Uh, and then, then what Quentin is like, if he, you know, which is, you know, if you help me do this, now you owe me this and sort of thing. So he, you know, same thing with Beth. Um, he prevented Beth from killing Quentin, but now, and Beth kind of comes to him on her own and says, I want to work for you. I want to, you know, I want to see what you have to offer, you know, that kind of thing. But there's still that kind of thing that Patapi does something. There's always a price uh, if, if he does something good for you. And with Charles Delaware Tate, same thing. You know, maybe gave me all these painting powers. I can understand my point to see yeah. when to go work for the coffee actually because yeah. you know, her and Quentin are going to get married and he basically says no, I'm going to marry Angelique and now he's chasing after the new bimbo on the screen <laughs> you know, sort of thing and you know poor Bass kind of like just there as the you know do you remember why, why Angelique wanted yeah, to marry Quentin? Mess, but no one's actually taking anything about She doesn't that. really say why. She's just insisting that he does. I don't know why Angelique's always trying to force people to marry her that aren't in love with her. Because it's not like... Well, it's always a, it's always a Collins, isn't it, though? Yeah. And it's money. I think it's money and status. I mean, you got to remember she's a servant girl, didn't she, at the end of the day? She's so not she's really like, hurting Barnabas. She's status, I she's, think. She's not really hurting Barnabas by marrying Quentin. I mean, I'm sure he, well, of course, she's what we call the polyandriest because she's still married to Barnabas. So Technically she'd, be married to, she'd be married to two cousins. But uh, but he, but as far as he's concerned, I'm sure he'd be very happy to see her married to somebody else. And uh, what does he need her? You know, that kind I of thing. think it's all about status and money, isn't it? At the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's why. I mean, if you look at, she's not. She's not looking to like marry anyone in town, is she? She's looking to marry a Collins because the Collins name. It has to be a Collins, I guess. Well, you didn't see her going after Carl Collins, did you? You know, so it's, well, it's just... poor Carl. He was just unusual. <laughs> <laughs> he and he loved him. Yep, it, she so, sure did. Uh, Carl was me. <laughs> a bit special education for Carl. <laughs> Poor Carl. He didn't have much time on the show this time around. No, uh, I think he had some uh, Broadway commitments or uh, other yeah. commitments that he needed to, he needed to get. But he'll be back. He'll be back. Yes, he will. Next block, actually. We're not going to talk about what and where. But uh, no, no, John. We're not through with John Carlin yet. Don't worry about it. Um, so anything else, Keith? Uh, What's that vision that alarmed Potofi? Do you remember? Charity sees a vision. I can't remember the vision. Charity uh, sees a vision that alarms Count Potofi. Is it where the the scimitar shows up? Oh, that yeah, yeah, that's the one where where he's yeah she she actually sees the vision of um, and, and it turns out to be King Johnny Romano that did that, but she sees the vision of his hand strapped to the chair. And the scimitar rose up, ri- rising up to cut off the hand. 
So, yeah, that's the vision that she sees that alarmed him. But she didn't know that it was Johnny Romano that was going to try to do that. Three, which is Meg's story. The Gypsy King Johnny Romano arrives looking for the hand of a toffee. King Johnny takes Meg to the gypsy camp and accuses her of counterfeiting the hand. Charity drugs Beth to prevent her from going to the gypsies. Um, I... Istvan, the gypsy, seizes Magda. Magda stands trial in the Collins Mausoleum. Istvan indicates the death sentence. King Johnny binds Batofi and prepares to cut off his hand. Um, and basically, this is a story where basically we see one of the black gypsies pretty much jump off the cliff due to all the uh, cult- cultural inappropriateness of it all. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my God! Talk about talk about going after people in a, in a race kind of way. I mean, poor gypsies, man. I mean, <coughs> they really have had I, it bad at their history. Um, was went off Widow's Hill. I, I thought to myself, I was like, like, oh my God! All these white people in blackface. I can't stand it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> And he was, of course, Judd Ward Baker, uh, who was the second and last uh, black actor uh, to be on Dark Shadows. The first one was the black nurse that gave Nicholas Blair a hard time uh, back in 68 or something. Did like they that. have to but, dress him like that? I mean, he was a real buff man, but they had to put that, that vest on him. And it's just, you know, Maine is really effing cold, even in the summertime sometimes. I mean, <laughs> And it's just the weather is intolerable sometimes, but I just think it's funny how they, they dress these guys and, well, you know, I mean, and you had so much, you could, you could do that back then because you didn't have people pissing and moaning over stuff all the time. <laughs> the black eye look, he fell out, of, he fell out of an Aladdin remake and ended yeah, up. It, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. There yep, you go. Yep. 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 Well, the uh, wonderful world of the brothers Grimm. Which is yeah. another forgotten classic, you know. His Ali tongue didn't they cut his tongue out? They cut his tongue out too. I would cu- that, that's why when he screamed, he which this this big strong virile black guy going. Yeah, that's right. I was wondering why those noises were. My dogs even looked at the TV funny, you know. And then you got Johnny Romano walking around like he's looking for his brother Luigi so they can play play, play on Mario Brothers. <laughs> Luigi, I want to get my pizza pie. <laughs> Don't talk bad about Johnny Romano. He come and curse you in the middle of the night. I think it's funny how Magda's always saying ain't. I ain't this. I ain't that. Oh, it's even worse than that. Triple negatives. I don't do nothing. I don't do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> don't do nothing. Triple <laughs> negatives. <laughs> I gotta love it. That is, that is really. But did you get I mean, the impression? It, it, I mean, I have to say it's a good segment. I did enjoy the storyline. But looking at it with a modern take on it, yeah. Kind of look at it going, oh my God, if any of these people were still alive, they would be so trashed on Twitter today. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be so canceled. Everyone in this segment would just be canceled. <laughs> Did you get the impression, though, that when when he did the Romano thing, he did the accent? Sometimes it sounded like a Bella Lugosi accent almost. Uh, with a, you know, Julia, you know, what I did. Magda, come to me, you know, that kind of thing. It had a little bit of Bella Lugosi in it in the beginning. I think he was, I think he was trying to find himself. 
And yeah. uh, I don't think he actually did because he, I mean, he jumped accents from episode to episode. It never really matched up. Right. Because wow. at one point he did, he did the, the Bell and the Ghost, the um, Hungarian accent. And at another point it looked like he was opening up a pizza parlor. Okay, so it wasn't my imagination. Then. He did that. No. <laughs> He didn't have much time to find himself, though. He only had a few episodes. He passed, by the way, on July 8th, 1911 in uh, Woodland Hills, California. May his memory be a blessing. But uh, and he was on and uh, he was on a number. He was on Seinfeld. Uh, He was on. What is Eloise at Christmas? I have no idea on that, but he was on. But he was but he was in another he was in a number of. uh, Oh, Frazier. He was in Frazier also. So he didn't have a bad uh, career. He didn't have a bad career after uh, Shadows ended. Uh, he was probably a really handsome man when they cleaned him up, you know. I mean, probably, to be honest, yeah. it's only um, it's only a one week. Wasn't only a one week gig anyway. Really? I think like, so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, maybe two at a push. Because I mean, it was he was as soon as he was on, you're kind of getting used to him. He was off, he was gone again. So it's like you know that whole Magda thing went pretty fast. Every once in a while, his arm with a scimitar shows up. <laughs> well, they also had that armed scimitar when Beth. Now they're starting to use I Ching more. Uh, yeah. And Patafi tries I Ching. And then Beth tries I Ching. Sooner or later, the taxi driver, the taxi driver will try I Ching. But anyway, when, uh, uh, when Patafi has it, he's, he sees the scimitar trying to cut him, you know, the, the vision of the scimitar trying to cut him. <laughs> it's doing the little dance. It was yeah, Trying exactly. To get that narration over there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is really, and all you could do is see Thayer David looking green in the in the green light. Um, I like Poor the Thayer idea. David, they made him wear that bleeding wig. You know, I just, I just don't understand the wig. I don't know any Hungarians with that kind of hair. I certainly uh, don't. I got a question. So. Because I don't know if I zoned out or whatever, because I was doing, I had a lot of editing to do when I was watching this. So I was editing at the same time. Um, what happens to Megda? Does she die? That's a great question. No. Oh, she didn't die. They just got rid of They're her somehow. Where is Magda? We don't know. And, yeah. Because when they brought when they brought Grayson back as the Julia character, yeah, she had to disappear. About Magda. What? Yeah, but where did she disappear to? Because the thing is, she did, I mean, she didn't. They didn't. She didn't. The the court. I don't trial. think they She's said. She's not dead because I because I don't know. They no, kind of just kind of dropped her a little bit. They didn't say yeah. she was doing anything. I think she, I don't know what she was doing. They're not. They didn't specify. But she's still around. And I thought I've got like did I miss something because she's like just disappeared. It's like okay, here she is like in the middle of everyone's storyline and then she had a little gypsy thing. Oh, she's and back full she, throttle I mean, after I this. That, I know the gypsies didn't do away with her, but then she just kind of, like, that was it. It's like, no more Megda. Like, she just kind of walked off the face of the earth and uh, she might come back and she might come back in the next uh, in the next block, but I doubt it because now no, she's back. The ho- the Oh, she is back. Yeah, because they basically want to concentrate on the Grayson Hall thing, and I guess, and, and the Julia thing. And I think there were too many makeup changes uh, between. Uh, it was probably know. close to impossible, you know. To, to I, I would think so. I, I would think so. Not unless they shot all the magazines or whatever first, or it's not like it was in front of a studio audience, so. 
<laughs> Taking shot talk shot in front of the studio audience with all the bloopers. Could you imagine yeah. all the laughs? <laughs> they would have gotten. Oh, that would have been terrible. You know, not like all in the family, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Darn, why can't I find? Well, I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to. She hasn't gone to... anywhere and she's not dead. She's just dormant. The character's dormant. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, Julia Hoffman is in the picture. She got a lot of mileage out of Magnum. I think she got a lot of mileage out of Magnum. She was, uh, you know, and it was, uh, it was a, it was a big thing for her. It was an enormous big thing for her. I love her. Well, when I do the bloopers, I'll tell you all about what else. You know, Judd Ward Baker was in a couple of movies also in the seventies, and all. Uh, so, yeah, but but it was a very limited, limited career, and he passed away, I think, uh, ten years ago. This brings us the scene for Tate and Amanda's story. Um, Tate sees the brooch Amanda is wearing and recognizes her as the woman he painted. Tate is shocked when he sees the portrait of Quentin now depicts the image of a wolf. Tate tells Tim of creating a man by drawing him and Tim kidnaps the creation. Quentin asks Amanda to marry him and leave Collinsport immediately. Tate learns that Amanda and Quentin love each other. He steals Quentin's portrait. Quentin is delayed leaving with Amanda when he learns his portrait is missing. Um, so just See, what are your thoughts about Tate and Amanda? Not a fan. <laughs> I'm really not a fan. Some of these Dark Shadows couples I do not understand. I also don't understand Beth and Quentin and storylines or meh. Like, I honestly totally had forgotten about them until I started to rewatch them. Like, oh, wait, yeah. I forgot about those guys. Um, I don't know. I'm just not a huge fan. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Are you fans? Do you like them? Are they your favorite characters? I like like Amanda's play by Donna McKechnie. And the reason why is because Donna McKechnie is a Broadway goddess. She is the original Cassie in A Chorus One. Drop Dead Gorgeous. She was was the original um, dancer in um, Promises, Promises. You know... I'll never fall in love again. Oh, yeah. She's the original singer of that. Uh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, she, was, she was in a relationship with Michael Bennett. And Michael Bennett was a choreographer who, uh, she was like his muse sort of thing. And he did like Dream Girls and he did the chorus line and so on and so forth. So to actually see her outside of like, you know, Tony, Award, you know, Tony Awards, you know, performing. So it's good to see her do something else. But as far as, yeah, I mean, I think as I said before, she's like a female dog in heat, and everyone's kind of on her sort of thing. So it's kind of like Amanda, kinda, that, fresh you know, blood. Yeah, but you got Tim. I think that's what I resent the most. Leg, and then Quinton's trying to ride her leg, and then you got Tate trying to ride her leg, and weirdly enough, Barbara got Trask trying to ride her arm. Yeah, and interesting enough, I, I will say. Artemis is the only one that doesn't seem to be wanting to have a go at her. No. I will say, though, she is kind of like, I feel like her character is taking on a Maggie Evans role, but she uses it with a bit more flair, so it doesn't just feel like a stagnant, redone character, because we've had Maggie so many, or no, 
Josette so many times because Maggie and Josette are completely different characters. It, well, it's like I you feel get like, her back too. You get the Josette shit going on. All I know over it, it's redundant. It's very redundant. So with Victoria, Maggie, you can become redundant. So I'm glad that they do infuse this character with a little bit more pizzazz because otherwise it would just be so redundant and annoying. But I do not like the. I don't like anyone paired with. Um, <laughs> any of the characters that uh, Roger Davis's characters are, because he's always presented the same way, and it's nothing against Roger Davis. It's just, no. I don't like the characters that he's written as. They're very well, unappealing. Was this? Do you think this was kind of random, the Pygmalion Galatea stuff? Because I'm trying to see how this fit in with Count Potofi and everything else. Well, I think they were trying to come up with yeah, a... I, I think they just tried to throw it in. I well, I'm trying to figure out how it was supposed to... Tom, what do you think? I mean, how did you think it... How how does it weigh in with Count Potofi and everything? Well, they were trying to figure out, I think, a way to cure Quentin. And uh, that, I think, is where the Dorian... And one of the writers must have come up with the Dorian Gray thing. Uh, because uh, anything that you put in the painting now does, is not reflected in the real person. So right. uh, during the full moon, the picture, the portrait turns into a wolf. Right. But, but Quentin is is cured of that, except for some, he had a little minor pain when it yeah. first started, but he says, oh, it's different, it's different, and then the pain went, and then the pain went away. So I think that was their, uh, uh, my guess is, is that that was their way of, 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 of coping with that, but in order to that, and then they wanted to get Roger Davis back because Dan Curtis always liked him. And I do want to say that although Roger played some, some characters that the writers really wrote bad, remember we would, and we were talking about this last uh, podcast, Jesse, right. the, Dirk, the Dirk character, the Dirk Wilkins was one of the best ones he ever did. I like the Dirk character a lot. Yeah, yeah, the vampire character and the way he was able to... Oh, my God, he was the best vampire. I do, I've always thought he made a badass vampire. He was evil incarnate, his eyes. He just... There was something about Roger Davis, too. I mean, he just just looked like a vampire you know he just did so and and the way they (laughs) you know and the evolution that i went into last time where when he was first bitten by barnabas he's acting like renfield looking for spiders and then he becomes a vampire he's a traditional lugosi vampire looking for blood and then by the by by the most mature vampire before he was before he was killed off he's uh now more like uh uh, the calculating uh, Saint Germain or Christopher Lee kind of uh, Christopher Lee kind of Dracula, but uh, th- th- you know, there's no doubt th- that when whenever Roger played something that was good or naive or you know that kind of thing, there was just something. What about that- when him and Quentin started fist fighting? That was great. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, you know, and you'll have and 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 he has a temper. You know, Charles Delaware has a temper, and you know, with the the thing with uh, Briscoe and everything, and uh, he's like uh, he's like very irrational and stuff, and he's. Uh, but it's uh, but basically, it's a servant character, and it's not a con- it's not a commanding character or controlling. It's not supposed to be because he's Patafi's servant. He hates being Patafi's servant, right? And he's always telling him that, and he says, "Leave me alone." Get out of here. I got my work to do. And, you know, and Patavi says, but my boy, I brought you along. I started yeah. you, you know, and all that, you know, and, and whatever. Uh, Didn't he make it where he can't draw anymore? I mean, what a jerk. Uh, yeah, he can't move Roger, his hand. I mean, my problem with Roger Davis, I think, is, is that 
I think that he doesn't differentiate his characters very well. When he was Dirk, he was fantastic because it's something totally different. But this character is a lot like the Peter Bradford character or the one that yeah. was with his incestuous sister, that character, or, you know, pre, you know. He's had a lot of characters, hasn't he? Yeah, but they're, they're all, they all kind of blend into one kind of character. And it would have been nice if he like gave this character maybe an accent or maybe a mustache or maybe a, some sideburns or something. Well, he did with Derek. I mean, he gave, they gave or him a personality. Maybe that's why Amanda hates him because I mean, he's got, he's, he's blase, you know. Sure. Marry me, Amanda, marry me. You know, and, yeah. I mean, he's always, and he's always indentured to someone. It's always in, like he's always. Yeah, someone, he does seem to be indentured. That's a good word like, for it. <laughs> he's an indentured character. Yeah, he's a beta male. <laughs> you know, and the thing is, you know, we we know that Roger Davis can you know play different characters. When he played Dirk, he was fantastic. That's probably the first time we've seen him fantastic. Yeah, though yeah. it was short lived, fortunately. But um. But yeah, I mean, even if you put on like one of those French berets and pretend you were looking at a French artist or something, yeah, just something, just a hat. But I just all you have to do is wear a hat. There's something different instead of that frock. I don't know what the hell that thing was. He's wearing the same clothes he wore when Dirk left. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, did you note the traveling Afghan uh, is in uh, in Dirk's apartment on the same couch? And of course, that whole set. Well, that's Maggie Evans's house. That's Sam and Maggie's house. That's right. So even even seventy years ago, you still had that traveling Afghan on the couch. Oh my God! They didn't move it. I didn't even move it. I, think, I, think it it I recognize the, the oh no the rocking chair no, the rocking chair was there and the windows are all there right right they put those drapes over the windows but the traveling afghan is on the same couch in the same place <laughs> that appeared in the 1700s as well that afghan as well so whoever afghan's whoever, all over the place everybody that did a really good job because it lasted it was in joe haskell's apartment it was uh it was, it was i mean you know you it was God, uh, you name it. It's been there. It's been there. It's yeah. been more places than the Collinsport fly. Uh, the, and we haven't seen a lot of the cut, but you know, I, and I do have to give this particular block, not that many bloopers, by the way. <laughs> Last block. Oh my God. I oh, noticed the, quite a few. I had, uh, well, good. And then maybe then, then you and I could talk. We could both do the bloopers. <laughs> I was laughing. I was just, I was sitting there wondering, I was like, I wonder if Tom saw that, you know? Oh, I'm, oh, I definitely, no, there were definitely some things, uh, you know, I mean, there are some things that are so minuscule, you know, that you just, that, that I just. Well, that boom, I mean, that boom is always all over the place. Booms are always, they're always there, you know, that kind of thing. And you can always see somebody's shadow standing there. I could hear a lot of talking, a lot of dropping of shit. If you can ever hear what they're saying, I know I need to put on headphones. Contact me because I can hear a little bit. It was with Cal Potopi up the episodes. I've heard a lot of talking in the background. So now I need to put on headphones. See, you may have a much, yeah. Uh, because I'll tell you, that's it's amazing if you can figure out what they're saying. If we can figure out what they're saying. I do know the last block, it was a tremendous, it was a tremendous blooper. Uh, I think Hadley and, uh, Hanley was talking to Trask or something, and then they started talking to somebody else, and somebody moved, somebody ran across the bottom of the screen, said, yes! Jesus. I said, thought that Jesus. was me. I thought I was just like, you know. No. Uh, but yeah, whoever it was said, Jesus. Like he was like running yes! towards the, one of the Yes, actors. I thought I saw that. 
and 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 then and then somebody else said, "Run, run!" Yes, I heard that too. It's like, what the hell was that all about? Wonderful, wonderful. One of the actors uh, needed to get to a certain place, and they forgot probably. So he's like running across, and I he has to be there. What they were away. talking about, you know, that talking you're talking about. I know what they were saying. What's that? Asking is whether you wanted mustard or mayonnaise with, with that ham of performance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get me a bagel now. I was Curtis from the control room. I want a bagel now. <laughs> what a bagel with that bagel ham and locks and cream bagel cheese. Bagel and locks and cream cheese. You know, that kind of, that I've kind asked of. for locks and cream cheese down here, and people have looked at me like I grew a second head on my shoulder. Oh my God. Can you believe that? The uh, uncivility of it all. Well, yeah. you are near the buckle belt of the Bible belt, so what do you expect? <laughs> do they make bagels down there where you with, are? And a bagel and cream cheese is. I mean, we are not total barbarians. God's sakes. But- oh, in Arizona, they made terrible bagels. Ugh, ugh. Well, they don't know how to make bagels there. Or or pizza. Ugh, Italian, you know, that kind of stuff. Mexican food's probably good, though. I, I kind of like, you know, uh, Danielle had some uh, pictures. Uh, she... She got to know one of the um, technical people through somebody else, and he had a collection of uh, technical shots from behind the scenes. Cool. And, it's, and it's really cool. And it's online. And it's online. It's on YouTube. And one of the one of the pictures, uh, you know, Barnabas is talking to somebody in the foreground, but then you see all the crew and the camera, and you got a nice cup of New York coffee on uh, standing on top of one of the cameras. <laughs> That's what they do with it. They're slurping coffee while the, while these, while the actors are, uh, you know, while the actors are. Who's, I, I always wonder who's gunning the camera though. Cause sometimes they're like swinging that bitch all over the place. And, you they know, lose like control, trying to focus, I think. focusing in on their cheekbones. They lose control. And then <laughs> they, you like know, their like, eyes, you know, right there. Can just imagine the director making all sorts of faces and colors. Well, and stuff. You got to remember in the control room, you got, um, you know, camera, Number two, da da da. Channel three, do this. Channel that's four. right. Oh, but Vicky, if you hear anything when you're listening, uh, put your earphones. If you hear anything, if you yeah, hear background chatter, go back and listen to a couple episodes because there was I heard lots of dropping and I did see something run across. I don't know what that was. Oh, that uh, that yeah, no that. But if you hear background chatter, that's what I'm interested. I in. heard a lot of background chatter in this block. But if you can hear, well, but if you understand I would have to it, put on headphones this time. If you can understand it, yeah, that would be wonderful because because that really gives you a, a, a great sense of what was going up because it was it live kept dropping on stuff and making all kinds of noise too. Oh like, well, when um, Romano was uh doing his little speech in the mausoleum uh and i think one of the one of the klieg lights uh fell no either fell or smashed or the bulb or the bulb and you saw and you saw this big flash yeah he was doing a line and he had to repeat it he had to repeat the line because he heard the smash and i think it was probably a light that uh that you know exploded I, th- I think the light exploded and went out. And you heard that. And you, heard, you saw this. Could be. Could be. I heard that. I was like, what the hell's going on in that set? Can't make that up. Can't make that up. This brings us to scene five, Barnabas and Julia's story. Edward imprisons Barnabas, but cannot bring himself to shoot the vampire. 
using the I Ching wands. Julia is transported back to 1897. Julia agrees to stay in 1897 and try to cure Barnabas of his vampirism. Batafi forces Julia to tell him about the I Ching wands. He uses them and goes into a trance. Barnabas learns where Julia is being held captive. Armistice is shooting her. Angelique agrees to help Barnabas defeat Batafi. Charity follows Quentin to a cave and discovers a coffin with Barnabas inside. Everett orders Barnabas's coffin to be chained and the cave to be sealed. So what do you thought about this, Vicky? <laughs> well, everybody wants to kill Barnabas. They just don't want to get their hands dirty, do they? You know? Well, one it's, just, person it's sort of like, it's, it's like Quentin has, is it Quentin that gets uh, Charity all riled up to go kill him? Is that who does it? She does. I know she does. That's it. later. That's later. Later. That's later. Yep. That's later. But she's the one that gets that gets her. Uh, well, everybody wants to kill him, and just nobody wants to do it. Well, everyone now knows that Barnabas is a vampire. Anyway, who doesn't know that he's not a vampire? How has this not, you know, uh, uh, Jameson and Nora? Well, every, well, yeah, but I mean, everybody knows. Well, Edward knows he's a vampire. Quite All the adults know it. But, but Nora adults. saw him as a vampire. Beth she? knows he's. Oh, a he, vampire. yes, she did. Yes, she did. I don't know if she connected it. Yeah, he saw him biting charity. Beth uh, does. Trask does. Oh yes, um, I mean, he's definitely come about Beauty and the Beast and the townskeeper going after the beast. You know, kill the beast. Da 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 da. It's like everyone's after Barnabas. It's like okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's going to change everything, and I just don't understand how like Edward is so fooled by Potofi. He doesn't get it, and you get this lady Kitty. I thought they were calling her Katie. I don't know why. They, uh, Katie would have been better than Kitty. I'm sorry. I would have definitely changed that name. I associate Kitty in the Victorian age with you know tavern sluts or slatterns or whatever you call exactly. them. <laughs> you I know, think when I think of this time period, I think of Miss Kitty from Gunsmoke. Yes, <laughs> Miss Kitty. Or I think that's of cute. Petticoat Junction or something. You know, I, I don't know. And there's Uncle Joe. Kitty Pride reminds me too much of Lion Pride. That's funny. He uses them to go to a trance. See, now, I mean, how, I mean, they they get into a trance. And I mean, Barnabas didn't normally have a hard time coming through. Now, we know that, um, that, uh, 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 oh gosh. Julia did not have a hard time going through, but why all of a sudden is it such a big deal, everybody coming through? And it didn't seem like a big deal before. Some people and why can, do we see Quentin can. dressed up with a tie in the 1960s? So. I, I mean, I, I, it's a kind of a weird thing because Barnabas's body still back, so he was transported into his vampire right. body. Julie is able to come in full body. <laughs> so no, her body's in a trance well, in 69 still. Well, this, well the story so is... is this, yeah. So this is, a, this is the essence. This is the like essence travels. Like that's why he couldn't kill Julia. Because the bullet the essence, went right through that's the, right. The, essence, the chair. The essence well, of the deal is, is that Julia's per- permanent body is in the 20th century. So You have to have a body to go to. And 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 Barnabas had that's it, Vicky. Barnabas had the body to go to because he was chained up in the coffin in 1897. Julia so never technically, had a body. his body is still there in 1897. Yeah, correct, because they disappeared at one point, didn't it? And he says uh, that was, yeah, that was when uh, Barnabas was doing the, his physical body in uh, in the 20th century disappeared uh, because. Uh, 
Patafi, was it Patafi that interrupted or Edward interrupted? Edward was the one who interrupted. Yeah, Barnabas was in the eating trance and Edward threw the sticks on the floor. Barnabas was trying to get back to... Okay, was, I was trying to remember who threw right. the sticks on Barnabas the floor. Barnabas was trying to get back to the 20th yeah. century. Edward interrupted him, threw the sticks on the floor, and then Barnabas's body uh, disappeared. Uh, completely. So how's he? Uh, so how's okay. He okay. So did he go back to sixty nine? He didn't go. No, he was in the process of doing that, and Edward interrupted him. Edward interrupted him as he was walking towards the door that would have led him back to nineteen sixty nine. Remember, he was going through Shawshank Redemption prison door, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. Right, right, right. Exactly. And then I saw. Did you see Marilyn Monroe's picture, by the way, on the other side? Um, or was that Raquel Welch? Uh, but anyway, so he, yeah, you know, so the, the bottom line, yeah. So the bottom line was now Barnabas doesn't have a body to go back to in the present. What's going to happen in the meantime, Julia, uh, has that body back there. So she can't be, she can't be hurt by normal means. So that's why the bullets went right through her when Aristide set up that trap for her. Now, what I don't understand is when Batafi was in the trance, why don't they just kill him then? Yeah, I mean, why don't you yeah, kill him? Uh, well, it's, he would have been stuck in between the two worlds, wouldn't he? If, if Batafi had been killed by that, and that was with that uh, that tribunal, uh, the, the, the Nkosi, the, the, the Nabusi, it sounds like an African word, you know, they yeah. made that up, the most fearsome gypsies in the world. You know, and he heard them coming out. I, I kind of like that that uh, musical score. I wonder where that was from. Um, but anyway, well, but the uh, they brought him back. They brought they brought him back, and they didn't really. Why why wasn't he why wasn't he killed? Uh, because it would have been too easy. We could have right. got. We could have been done with this wig weeks ago. That's right. <laughs> and they still had a contract with. Sandra. I have to sit there and say that. And with his beard and mustache, David Thayer's got liver-looking lips. He's got liver lips. He does. <laughs> He's got maybe in those bottle cap glasses. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we had a, we had a um, we had a girl who used to wear glasses like that in school. We used to call her Coke bottle. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I have never been as cruel. I've never been that mean. No, yeah, no neither. Everyone was mean in the seventies and eighties. That's. Those are hyperoptic, uh, that's far-sighted things, you know, the, the goofy glasses. And Lady Kitty. You've been bumping into crap all the time. Well, and this always, Trask, you've got the same, Trask has not changed at all from 1796. You're wearing the same clothes, basically. I everything's mean, the same. He hasn't changed, you know, I mean, they, they might have kind of, you know, kind, except for the long hair. You know, he's, little... he's a pervert. He likes the ladies. Let's face it. He was a pervert yeah. before in the 1700s as well. Yeah. Yeah. Trask was a little boy. They took this, they kind of just had the same outfit for him. He just kind of like the little toddler Trask outfit. And then yeah. they like high school. T- <laughs> <laughs> I will say this though about, uh, about Kitty. Uh, the new character, uh, and 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 when I asked Catherine Lee Scott about it, my my impression was, and uh, we were talking about this before the podcast, and my impression was that uh, she kind of reminded me of Tara from Gone with the Wind, uh, with the uh, you know well, well, fiddle dee dee, you know that kind of thing, and uh, you know, uh, this character is a non-starter for me. I mean, yeah, 
Yeah. Well, we don't know enough about her yet, but well, it, let's get it. Let's go into scene six. Um, okay. Lady Kitty Stones arrives to visit Edward and Barnabas, and, rec- and Barnabas recognizes her as the image of Josette again. Kitty dreams of Angelique bringing gifts from a suitor, and um, when she awakes, they find she finds it on her bed. Um, Kitty seems to start becoming Josette. So we Kitty is the, to- yeah. Kitty's a reincarnation of Josette. Well, what's the point at this part? At this, you know, at this juncture. I think what they what they will establish. I haven't worked for a while. Kind of come back and uh, can you put me in this slot? And they kind of did it last moment. Seems like they don't give it a lot of thought. The I think at this point there was this hint when she played Rachel Drummond that there was that she might have been the reincarnation, but it didn't it didn't come out as much. They decided to really bring this out full in force with Kitty Hampshire, who's now having flashbacks into, into the Josette era. Where is Barnabas's picture on the wall? Why did they, why did they take it off? All before. That's not even, we've seen this whole thing play out before over and over. Thought, They're bringing it back again. They're, you know, again, it's, it's in all honesty, though, horse. that's what a lot of fans love. They love the Barnabas and Josette story. I that's think right. that maybe they're just trying to cater to everybody looking for that little bit of unrequited you know, love, star-crossed lovership. As we said before, I found the Barnabas and Josette storyline before they went back in time to be this great, fantastic love story. Then, of course, we got back, and the reality is like a lot, a lot different than what we experienced. So then, when we, now when we go back to it, it's kind of like now that we've seen it, it's kind of like <laughs> again. Uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. that that love story. As I said before, my, the love story for me was between Barnabas and Victoria. I think that was the most fantastic. Yeah, he love loved her. Theme. He did because that just seemed a bit more real. The Josette and Bar- I think because they put they put so much emphasis on it that by the time that we saw the reality of it, first of all, there's no chemical reaction between Jonathan and Fred and Catherine Lee Scott. There, I mean, there's. You know, there was more attraction between Angelique and Barnabas than there was between Barnabas that. and yeah. Josette. And, um, and Josette and um, Joshua, there was a lot of sexual tension there. Right. So you saw the reality of it. It didn't play out the, what, what they told Josette and Jeremiah, you mean. Josette and Jeremiah, Jeremiah. not yeah. Joshua. Yeah. <laughs> that would be good. Josette and Joshua. Now, yeah. son, I think you should go out of the room now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I think that I mean so I think that was part of the problem, and so now when they keep bringing this Josette thing up again, it's like, you know, I would have been, I would have been better if it's like she looked a little more like Victoria Winter or something. It's almost like because we're not you know it's gonna you know it's gonna be a non-starter. It's not gonna go anywhere. Why do I keep missing my favorite all Louis Edmonds one-liners though? You know, God, you I don't have them. those. Because those were for Roger, and you don't have them here with it. I know. I miss the one Roger. with all the one-liners. Yeah, Edward, Edward's just sexually repressed. I mean, that's his yeah. character. Sexually repressed Victorian. Well, it's the Victorian times, the turn of the century. So, yeah. he's got so worried about the-, the money, and basically, Kevin's only taking control of his money sort of situation. And that's, you know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, he's not too upset about his sister being a psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, it's 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 you know they they basically limited uh edward's character to a victorian you know and they could have given him more roger lines but they really didn't i think the writers the writers were concentrating on the quentin crush that all the fans had this was the new dark shadows boy toy and so they were concentrating 
on developing the sarcastic. He handled it really well too. David oh, Selby excels in these great. roles, and, and, and he just he's just fantastic throughout this whole block. Selby's great, and uh, he, he really shows his just an actor's actor, you know that kind of thing. And uh, he's almost too good. Well, that was why originally, I mean, you know, they he and Frid got along well together in terms of the fact that they picked he picked up the slap, but I think there was a little envy. I heard there was a little envy on the part of Frid towards Selby in the beginning, but that kind of vanished. They got to know each other and they got to get oh, along. Selby's a very nice person. Frid finally had like a couple weeks off. Finally. Right, right, exactly. And you're going to see actually in the next block where Jonathan's going to have to take a month off. And we're going to talk about that during the next block. Uh, that will be, uh, and we'll know why and you'll know how, but nobody knew that at the time. Uh, but, uh, Sel- but, you know, and again, when the movie was going on, uh, Selby picked up for uh, Jonathan while uh, they were shooting the movie upstate. Right. And uh, they always talk. They always talk about that. And uh, Selby did a marvelous job. You know, I mean, people forgot about Barnabas for a while. I think if it weren't for Selby, people would be very upset that Barnabas wasn't on there so long. Uh, and uh, so you got to give David or Joan Selby Bennett. You know, they, I mean, well, when she's on, you know, that's another thing. She's been in the sanitarium, by the way, for a couple of four months. Now. Yeah, that's a long time, you know. Uh, you know, she's still uh uh one wonders uh she's been taking a nice uh she's been she's been in the sauna a lot. I well, think. for what it's well, worth in the next block, she hasn't learned anything. Catherine <laughs> off about three months before they brought her back. Who's that? Stephanie Scott's been off for three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she and then she came back because you know, and uh, she will be here for a while. Uh, it will be interesting to see how that picks uh, how that picks up because uh, Barnabas will think that he finally has found his true love, even if it yeah. isn't his true love. But he thinks he's so. always on the look for his true love. He doesn't know what he wants. That's very true. Here's Julia. Right. I'm saying to myself, geez, I mean, she could have kept herself out of so much trouble. Yeah. By by staying in the present, she goes back to the past to help him. She gets tied up. She gets the trauma of being shot, even though she isn't killed. But she doesn't know that. Uh-huh. Uh, she's kidnapped. Uh, she's uh, emotionally. Like, she tried to do modern medicine in the eighteen nineties. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great. Where one. did the doctor's bag come from? All of a sudden, and where's where is she getting in his way to make him walk in the daylight again? Looked to me like I it miss? was a carpet bag. Actually, I didn't think that was a medical bag. I thought it was a carpet bag, which I think is even funnier. Well, uh, he's trying to figure out what happened. Where did this? I think she finally dresses appropriately on at some point, doesn't she? It takes her a while. Yeah. One of her modern clothing. Well, Louis, was well, Louis Edmund finds her out front, and it's just like, how oh, look at her. She's dressed indecently. <laughs> and so did uh, what was it, Nancy Barrett? Also, you know, what, what kind of she? dress is that? She's trying to kill Quentin. She's trying to yeah, kill Quentin. Everybody's trying to kill Quentin. She starts, yeah, the, the, that's a, the, the meantime, poor, the poor thing is sitting on the couch and she can't even verbalize. I mean, she's still, you know, and, and they're throwing all these accusations at her and trying to get her to talk <laughs> and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's she amazing. She's such a physical actress. Well, the funny thing about it, this, this is the Julia gets Julia gets flung back to 1897. We finally get the one female character who has arrived on Collinsport since since Quentin arrived, who <laughs> doesn't want to sleep with. 
You're going to find something interesting on this, and it'll be in the next block, but you're going to see something developing between Angelique and Julia in terms yeah. of... Uh, and, and, and this is the only time that really happened on the show because, obviously, Julia hated Angelique from the start. Well, they and could have been friends had it been another world or another thing. Well, they, they're going to have to work together. Well, they're both burned by Barnabas, aren't they? Yeah. Yes, they yes. The, they do all this stuff with Barnabas, and basically just... Barnabas, Barnabas is one of these people that keeps asking for favors, but he doesn't really give you anything in return. So it's like, no, what does he do for everybody, really? Barnabas, he kind of sucks the joy out of everybody's life. Barnabas, unfortunately, is more of a taker than a giver. And yeah. uh, he's extremely selective in who he wants to give to. He's not a lover. He's a fighter. <laughs> and then that music box shows back up. What's the deal with the music box? Oh, I hate that music box. It just point. means we're going to have another couple of months of listening to God awful song from Joseph Music Box. Well, as opposed to the Pansy Faye thing, you know, now instead. Oh, God, of- the Pansy. I mean, can't they come up with different tunes? They do. Later, no, but I think I think if if it, if this if this was done in the tw- in the, the millennia, basically it would be the Dark Shadows Mega Mix. Good dance class. Vicky, remember those words you said. Why don't they come up with new songs? They will. Oh, come they up probably. With new- oh, they do. Ooh, I know. Two new songs. Two new <laughs> songs uh, that I can think of. But, I think I was kind of snoozing off and on because I wasn't feeling good and I was binging these. And I, you wake up, it's like, oh shit, what I miss, you know? But I couldn't figure out, go, where did the where did the music box come from? How did that? They finally gave Pansy her own gramophone. By the way, they gave Pansy her own gramophone. It's a she did get her own gramophone. It's, yeah, it's a black little gramophone that she has in her room, so she. Can I didn't play, notice it. So she can play her sweet little rendition of "I Want to Dance with You," a very sad instrumental version of it. She can relive her music hall days. Her music hall days. <laughs> exactly. Can you imagine she's at the Blue Whale. She's doing that act at the Blue Whale. Uh, that's yeah. one thing I'd like to see. I mean, well, in, 20, in 20 years' time, I mean, she'd go into a uh, music hall, turns into, um, whatchamacallit, burlesque. <laughs> she, she burlesque yeah, no thing. kidding. You got like 25 years before it's, you know, big deal. Yeah. Vaudeville. Vaudeville, then burlesque. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, um, I think what we'll probably probably go to now is um, what's your best storyline and your worst storyline of this segment, starting with you, Vix. Best storyline. God, there's so many going on. Um, out of all of them, uh, it's not that well. Time travel one is like kind of intermingled with all of them. I don't know. I mean, are these storylines are so crisscrossed? Are they even separated? At all. I mean, I could say the one I don't care about the most is bringing Josette's storyline back. They're beating that like a dead horse. I can tell you yeah. that. We all know. I mean, I understand the unrequited love, star-crossed lovers. I mean, some people didn't want to let it go. But, I mean, you know, it's just there's so much going on already. It's just like, golly, you know, get, getting confused. Um, I would probably have to say it's a Quentin storyline and his journey and what's going on with him at the moment, because you got, you got, uh, you know, where the vampire thing is, is leading to. And we're kind of used to this back and forth with Barnabas, but now we got David Selby's Quentin character. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see where this is going because he's definitely had an evolution of sorts 
since he started. So we'll see where it goes. And what about yourself, Jess? I mean, I, I would definitely agree as far as my least favorite storyline, and that is bringing Josette back because they're not only beating that dead horse, but they're pulling that decaying carcass out of the ground. And it's like, it didn't really work the first time. It was okay the first time. It was good the first it, time, I thought. It was. It, but then you do it a second time, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time. And it's like, okay, yeah. now it's, <laughs> it's a bit overdone now. How many more times are we going to see this rendition? Well, maybe it's How like many reincarnations of yeah. Josette are there? Yeah, but it's like, does we don't need filler. It's not like there's one storyline and you're kind of struggling to get by. There's so much going on. You do not need filler. Um, so it's a bit confusing as to why they felt the need to bring that back because Maggie uh, or Catherine Lee Scott could play any character, any other character. And I would love to see Catherine Lee Scott with a grittier um, character, a, a more harder edge, not, not edgy. I don't want to say that, but you know, kind of the, the way you originally nice saw Maggie. A bitch, I think a really yeah. bitchy, horrible character who's got like yeah. a thing going on behind it all or something. Or, Cause she does a good it. job with, she does a good job with, you know, I could see that coming out of her, her doing that very well, because when she does get in that place, it comes off really well. Like when she was mean to Joe and after she was bitten, she did a really good job being kind of nasty to him. And it was kind of entertaining because Joe's just kind of like a sack of potatoes. Sometimes you want to throw him around. Um, so I would like to see, I, I would have liked to see her have more of those kinds of characters. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I thought it would been more. Yeah, as far as my. Oh, do you say your favorites? No, I didn't say my favorite. My favorite was probably. Oh my goodness! I don't even know. There's so much going on. There, there really is. I always like to see like Maggie and Kalpatofi. Not not Kalpatofi. Um, what's his name? Sandor. I like Sandor. Sandor's um, dead. Yep. Yeah. Although they Sad. did bring him back once. Uh, For about 20 seconds. Uh, yeah, yeah, during the trial. It wasn't very exciting or titillating. Yeah, his biggest <laughs> line was Magda Rakosi. That was his big line. I, I guess maybe the Quentin storyline right now, because, I mean, that's the reason why we're back in this timeline anyway. I'm having a hard time getting into all of the characters right now. Cause like you said before, the Kampotofi does take forever. I, I like the idea of Kampotofi's character. I just think they're struggling to really say what it is they want to say maybe, and don't really know where to put him or bring That's him. That's probably more. Yeah. Kotofi yeah. needs a weakness. He needs a chink in his armor to make him a bit more relatable, I think. Yeah, something. He doesn't... He, he's well, the too... gypsies are his weakness. Yeah, but they're gone. Is, yeah, they yeah, I don't know. They, they all, they all think... have been suicide by, because, of their, because of their cultural inappropriateness. They all jumped off because they knew what was going to happen. They... <laughs> like lemmings <laughs> off a cliff. They, they knew what happened if they, they lived to see 2020. They just would be canceled. I think if this was done... <laughs> Cancel the gypsies! Uh, Cancel them! <laughs> so, but no, I understand about being... What about yourself, Tom? Your favorite or worst storyline? So... I got. I, I got to say that the worst storyline for me was the uh, Pygmalion and Galatea, as well as the um, 
the picture of Dorian Gray. I mean, it was just so something. I mean, yeah, they had to do something in order to cure him. But why the heck use why the heck use that such a rip off? And you know, and they even at one point have Selby looking at the picture saying, Oh, I always wanted to look like that. And I mean, yeah. if that isn't Dorian Gray, I don't know what is. I mean, that was just so that was just so and of course that's gonna be but that's gonna be their stock answer as to how uh he was cured of because history's been changed. Right. Uh in point of fact, uh one wonders if Capitoffi would even have appeared in the original timeline. Uh, I don't think there would have been a reason for him to appear in the original timeline, which is why all this nope. started in the first place. So, uh, and that Galatea thing, them bringing that guy, Art Court, I think his name is, uh, Art Court, uh, Court is his last name, for three episodes. And that was a ripoff of Adam, if you think about it, I mean, you know, they, he had nice, he had a, he, he's nicer looking and had no lines because I don't think Dan Curtis no scars for lines. <laughs> yeah. What the guy he kind of whipped up out of nowhere? That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. three days. The one who's like gaping in the back like a goldfish looking. looking <laughs> <laughs> Art Court, whatever his name. I mean, you know, nothing against the actor. Uh, it was just a real. It was just a. Silent, a silent role with all he does is just gape and go. Yeah. You, know, you know, he's in the Briscoe's front again. Surprised here. Oh, we can't. We've got to give Briscoe an honorable mention for turning into a butthead. He's a he mean, greedy well. asshole in these this block, and it's just like, oh, my darling has turned dark. He handles yeah. it well. Number of. Uh, how was he? How was he taken out of the show, though? Was it because he was shot, or was it because they tore up a piece of paper? What? What? When Briscoe left in the, uh, they they claimed. Well, this is going on ahead, but I think they claimed that both uh, Briscoe, that both Chris and Amy decided to move out of Collinsport. No, I'm talking about. Um, I'm talking about Silent Man. There, you know, the one that Tate draws, and he comes right fruition. And oh, how's he? How is he? He's shot by uh, Tate. Yeah, uh, he something that what Tate what what would have been interesting if Tate just tore up the piece of paper and he just disintegrates. And he yeah. doesn't. Tate, Tate ripped up the piece of paper, but he did not Nothing disintegrate. Yeah. Then uh, Briscoe kidnapped him and had him in his uh, Collinsport in room. And again, you get this thing of uh, Professor Stokes and Adam for a few minutes, uh, you know, trying to teach him how to speak, uh, you know, trying to encourage him how to speak. I think he was in the closet with Jonathan Frid and um, Roger. (laughs) 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 But the way he's disposed of is is that uh, uh, Tate walks in on the both of them with a gun and Tate shoots uh the guy and he falls down on the floor and then he disappears right. agonizes and disappears and that's how court has gotten rid of uh but anyway I thought it would be more interesting if um he tore up or balled up the piece of paper or something and then he and he disappeared but that would add it on to the amanda story like but the what would happen with the amanda portrait and exactly exactly that, They've got more things to do with Amanda, and you're going to see what comes right. up with that, and that's going to once again rip off another yeah. uh, classic. But uh, so I, I really think that that was a kind of a waste. Of, that was really a kind of uh, a non-starter for me. It was kind of a waste of time. Yes, uh, it's true. You've got the Josette thing. I would also say that that wasn't one of the better 
uh, plots of uh, better uh, parts of this block. Um, but I think you, it comes to an eventual resolution and later on in the show. We're finally going to understand, we're going to put an end to this thing with Josette and Barnabas in a later part of the block and fans will be fans will be upset and all that kind of thing but you know all good things must come to an end but that's not going to happen for a while that's not going to happen for a while they're going to milk this as much as they get now the best the best that I liked was uh, was Julia going back to 1897 I thought that 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 introduced a new kind of little fresh blood it got us to see uh, the present again, and it got us to see Amy and Professor Stokes and and Julia, and there was even a little thing about Julia dreaming. Uh, David had died, by the way. Quentin had right. finally killed David, and then when history was changed, Quentin's ghost was no longer. It, there was there, it, no the timeline had changed. No more Quentin's ghost. No more Beth's ghost. And David came out of his. David woke up from his. Uh, Oh. Good thing they hadn't buried him first, uh, but David. That <laughs> would have been that would have been another uh, Joan Bennett plot. They buried David alive, but uh, no. But David woke up, and uh, I, and I think that that plot. So I think that the Julia thing, plus the the way they handled Quentin's original death, September tenth, eighteen ninety seven. What was supposed to happen on that day? And uh, the way they went, they kind of really were smooth, the way they went between two time periods. I enjoyed that. Uh, and, and, you know, and they went back between 1897 and 1968 pretty fluidly, whereas you otherwise you're concentrating on one time period for a long period of time. So that was so that's my take on it. Keith. My best storyline is Beth. I, I, I was not kind of been ignoring her but in this block i was actually quite interested in her for some reason i i'm finding her character has gone on a journey which i'm quite enjoying at the moment so she's probably my favorite storyline at the moment my worst yeah i'm gonna have to go with lady kitty's so <laughs> lady kitty's yeah. i mean it's like normally when someone comes on then i get a bit excited oh, oh they're back i just thought when she came back and he goes, oh, does that? I just like, uh-huh. I just rolled my eyes. And by that time, it's like, I just lost the will to live. And I was like one step about taking a hot bath with a razor blade, but I decided I'll wait until the next block before that happens. So, yeah. So now let's go to our favorite character and our least favorite character, starting with you, Vic. What's your favorite character and your least favorite character? I'm going to have to go with Nancy Barrett because she's just so fun in this. And, you know, and sometimes she's kind of looked over because, you know, she's I don't know that I just sometimes kind of think she's looked over. And I just I just love how her energy and, and her youth and everything comes through in this pansy fade thing. And she gets a chance to shine. And, and then she goes from that dull drab wallflower to this, you know, colorful, you know, tavern slut singer performer kind of thing. And, you know, I just think she's absolutely precious. And I, I just love watching her, her go through all the, the evolution and the changes she's, she's done. since the beginning worst character that we're up to now yeah worst character so many to choose from (laughs) there's a million of them 
And I can't really, I can't say that because it's not her fault. She's just written that way. Worst character. I have to say Aristide. Aristide is about is, you know, what the hell is his purpose? I mean, they should have kept the guy, the new guy that was looking around dumbfounded. That was the new painting that was born or whatever, the sketch that was born. I would have settled for him. You know, I like Aristide and everything. The actor's great. I mean, he went on to do other things, but I just like, come on. It's kind of yeah. like Mrs. Johnson's uh, son in a yeah, way, kinda, Harry Johnson. Kinda. Yeah, just from a different. Aristide is a just a more. pain in the ass. Yeah. I mean, he's like a bad penny that shows up. He's not a nice person, you know. He, he does a hat with a tassel on it. Huh? He wears he, a hat with a tassel on it. He reminds me of a hunchback of Notre Dame character. <laughs> Maybe he's from, a like, Shriner. The Disney version. Maybe he's a Shriner, you know. He's a Shriner, yeah. Who'd have thought he would have had Shriners back then? (laughs) They did, I think they did. Um, What about yourself, Jesse? Who's your favorite worst? Uh, hmm. Maybe, I'll just say Roger Davis's character in this block is kind of boring to me, so I'll say him for the worst. Um, My favorite... Maybe maybe Quentin. Maybe I'll just say Quentin. Quentin does a good job. David Selby's fantastic in this block. It's a relief to finally see more of him other than you know, just standing (laughs) in the doorway, terrifying David. Honestly, I didn't have a problem with anybody's performances. They were all really strong. Yeah. You know, I hate saying I dislike anybody, but Mm -hmm. Um, what about yourself, Tom? Favorite and worst? Well, I'm glad you asked me this last because I've been trying to think. Um, the uh, well, I agree with Vicky as far as the worst one was Michael Stroke as Aristide. Uh, I think uh, he just basically wimps along, you know, Campatoffi's toady with his with his dancing lady, which is made of wood, and uh, you know, and just basically. Uh, you know, does uh, yes, master, no master. He's like his puppy dog. I mean, they just know. Um, and you do get a sense. Uh, I think this was part of what Michael Stroka, because it was the way the writers wrote it. But Michael Stroka at one point says, if Patafi weren't around, I'd have to think for myself. I think that's a very, very, I think that's a very, very great clue into the fact that Aristide is really a useless wimp without Patafi. Right. And he'd have to fend for himself. He doesn't know how to do the first thing. He doesn't even know how to sign a checkbook kind of guy. Right. Uh, right. So I, you know, so that's the worst. Um, and in terms of, and in terms of the best Selby, I'm going to put a tie between Selby, but I also want to put David Hennessy in as Jameson because of that the, too. He, that can, kid definitely deserves a mention. He did. I mean, David Hennessy. Fantastic. He, He's he, always done a good job, and that's rare for a kid actor. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, and here he portrays, of course, it's easy to portray David, but he's also portrayed um, when he was Patafi, uh, and let's uh, give him credit for that. Uh, he did a great job, uh, you know, pretending to be uh, the adult Patafi, although he didn't have the accent. That would have been cute if he had, if he was able to do Patafi's accent. But um, he still did an excellent job at portraying different possessed characters in addition in addition to his own. So I would be a tie between those two as best. 
My worst is Lady Kitty's um, Lady Kitty. I Kitty. love Kathleen Scott and everything like that, but this, this is just this. It's like it just reminds me of Roger Davis doing Take Down. It's like oh god, right. like, there's, there's any differentiation between her and Maggie Evans at all? And I'm just kind of like, Oof. and yeah, I'm just kind of rolling my eyes. I mean, I'll keep an open mind to see where this goes, but I just right, right, agreed, yeah. And as far as my favorite, I'm going to go with Nancy Barrett because um, I think she's fantastic. But, you know, the thing is, I have to sit there and say, with her, Nancy Barrett's character so far through all the dark shadows that we've seen up to this point, she's done the most of every character that she's given. Every character that she's ever been given, she's done something different with every yeah. single character. Her diversity definitely speaks for itself. She will continue yeah. to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, I love yeah. her. I think she's just cute as a button in this one, too. I just Very love her, smart. her floppy curls up on top of her head and her makeup. And I don't like, really think beauty her marks her were a thing back then. Close. Apparently they were. Yeah. They were. In the 18- they, they all like had different meetings. We had her in the 1700s where she played that ditzy character. What was her name? Chastity Charity? No. Charity Chastity. No, wait. Oh, Dipsy. Nancy oh, Barrett? Yeah, she played. Oh, God, she was the cousin. Oh, my the God. She was, kind of a, she was kind of a dipshit. Yeah. Oh, God, that's going to make me nuts. Yeah. But she played that character. And then we got then we had Carolyn then we had Carolyn is like taking over her mother's role. So we had that stern character. Right. Right, right, right. And then right. we had her at um Tassidy, Char- charity here, where she's kind of like, you know, vir- virgin like and kind of da- right. I like her defying Trask because Trask is such a butthead. Nothing changes him. Oh, it's great. Planet. No, it's great to see those two work. Together. I we, love what she puts out. Um, Pansy Faye, and it's got and like every single character she does. She's, they're different characters. You know, what the memory she has. You know, Robert Rodin may rest in peace. Uh, brought it up in our interview that uh, working with Nancy Barrett, and she had a photographic memory. She knew all her lines. It was, and even on uh, you know they recently did the um, the Christmas show, uh, the uh, Christmas Carol. Uh, on YouTube, and Nancy Barrett uh, was on there, and uh, they were asking questions after the show, and of course the fans wanted David Selby and Nancy Barrett to reprise I Want to Dance with You. David did not, David Selby didn't remember the lines. Nancy Barrett remembered every line, and she sang the whole damn song. And this is 50 years later. This is an incredible, you know, you don't always expect that. David Selby, God bless him, is one of the most talented actors around, but man's not perfect. But but she I tried to get memory. him to sing for us. What? <laughs> I tried to get him to sing for us. He didn't. He doesn't remember the lines. You gotta get did no, he didn't. They didn't Millicent. They, they tried. <laughs> Millicent Collins. Oh, right. Millicent. I oh, the, the crazy. I didn't remember that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who could forget Millicent? Oh, yeah. She played that little retarded kind of thing. Every uh, character is so, so different. That's all I love about her. Jesse, are you raising your hand or are you just stretching yourself? I was just stretching. I was just stretching. Oh, okay. I thought you wanted to say something. Now she's right Let's all stretch. Stretch, stretch, stretch. Um, but. Uh, yeah, the, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's an incredible memory that she has, and you're going to see more characters that she does infuse in into the show. And each side, she's like Thayer David in a way, because Thayer David also was able to do that with each of his characters, do a different side to it. Tremendous range on both of their parts. Yes. Tremendous range. 
This brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast. Next month, we'll be doing Dark Shadows, October to November 1969 episodes, which will comprise of episodes 856 to 893. And, of course, our book to screen will be American Psycho by Brett Easton Ellis and the film from... Um, well, let me see. And the film. <laughs> the film that goes with the book. <laughs> yeah, the film from 2003. Sorry, folks. <laughs> the American Psycho was released. And, of course, we'll be doing Bewitched, which we're currently into Season 3, Episodes 16 to 23. And our 80s two-for-one will be Killer Clowns from Outer Space from 1988. And Bad Taste, directed by Peter Jackson, yes, from Lord of the Rings, from 1987. And so it's good night for myself and good night, Vicky. Good night, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Good night, Jesse. Have a good night, folks. Good night, Tom. Last but not least, there's me. Good night, everybody. Have a great one. <laughs> we'll see you next month for Dark Shadows, episodes 856 to 893. And next week, we'll be doing our soap retrospective. Make sure you tune in for that. And next month, we'll start off the next month again with American Psycho by Fred. Good night, folks.